I, I should have read this through first and kind of figured out how my dictation would go. Again, <laughs> again, I'm just really used to reading to my two year old son, so I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of reading that way, and, and then a, the masturbation part. That's a hell of up. a bedtime story right there for a two year old. Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. Today, I have a special guest. Joining me is Michael Denniston from War Machine vs. War Horse. How are you doing, Michael? Good. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm a big fan of it. Well, thank you. You and uh, I think one other listener, uh, which is myself. Um, <laughs> Both big fans. So I'm really, <laughs> yes, really happy to have you on the show. Um, no, I'm a big fan of yours as well, but you guys uh, really pop out episodes um Pretty pretty frequently. Um, sometimes it's hard to catch up. I'm, I'm playing catch up myself right now. But uh, you guys d- definitely choose uh, a lot of a lot of good movies. Some stuff from the past where there are movies I haven't seen in a while, and it makes me want to go back and and view them uh, based on your guys' <laughs> opinions on such cool. movies. Uh, but w- w- why don't you uh, uh, tell uh, our two listeners uh, a little <laughs> bit about your show? Well, uh, as you said, we we pop out episodes pretty frequently because the uh, the premise of it is. Uh, whatever new release that's coming out, uh, at least for American audiences, uh, we're we're far too lazy to keep up with the international release dates to try to time it out. But at least for our American audiences, whatever's coming out that week, we'll try to go back and find two other films that uh, have a similar theme or premise or director or something of that nature and uh, pair them off and kind of uh, battle it out between how each film handled uh, the chosen theme better. Um, so for like the last one we released, it was Gone Girl, and so our theme was movies about women who go missing. And so we did Alfred Hitchcock's uh, The Lady Vanishes versus uh, a 1988 film called The Vanishing that was a foreign film. And you know, The Lady Vanishes is very comedic. There's a lot of one-liners. It's uh, kind of a caper. Like it's kind of uh, silly at times trying to find this missing old lady. And The Vanishing is absolutely not. Uh, I think Stanley Kubrick called it the most terrifying film he'd ever seen. So those two films are distinctly different, and we just kind of uh, have a conversation about how the two older films uh, handled the theme in in very different ways. Um, It's basically an excuse for me to revisit older films, because when I see Gone Girl, I kind of am in the mood to watch older movies that are similar to that. And so I can explain to my girlfriend why I'm spending so many time, so much time watching movies. It's for the podcast now. I actually have a reason for my freakish movie-watching ways. So that, that kind of explains why we pop out so many episodes, just because I'm a, a movie freak. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting on uh, your guys' uh, choice in movies, too, just because, like, f- uh, for example, this particular theme, it, it's almost a genre of its mm-hmm. own. Uh, really, you know, people going missing. There, there was one called Gone, uh, I think it was called, uh, with Amanda mm-hmm. Seyfried, right, just just a few years ago. That was actually filmed here in Portland, Oregon, which is pretty cool. So it was really nice to, to kind of see some of the uh, the background. Portland's starting to become a, a place to film things a little bit more often, so that's kind of really nice to see. Um, Untraceable, right, that was also uh, Diane Lane. Mm-hmm. That was filmed here in Portland. Gosh, see, those are already two movies about people being gone. Here's another one, uh, Vanished. Uh, at least I think it's called Vanished with the uh, Kiefer Sutherland and oh, that was um, the uh, Sandra Bullock. Yeah, that was the uh, American uh, remake of of remake. the foreign okay. film we talked about on Gone Girl. Ah, so uh, if you've okay. seen that, um, kind of like what we're going to be discussing today, uh, 
you ought to check out the original and kind of compare the, the two because we do mention the differences between the American version and the, the foreign one, which I believe was a, a Dutch film. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't know it was mm -hmm. a remake, um, but I did uh, I did enjoy the Kiefer Sutherland one, and um, I think that's probably one of the first Sandra Bullock's movie I had seen, but I think that was filmed in parts of Oregon as well. That's kind of creepy that's so, a Ural's area. It is. <laughs> Everyone goes missing in, in films in Portland. Yeah, yeah. So if you ever want to film a, a you know a movie about someone going missing, film here uh, in Portland. You know, it's it's very very gloomy. Uh, I mean, they they film grim here. Yeah, we we don't we're not <laughs> yeah. so lucky, or maybe we're lucky that we don't have that here in Kentucky. It's mainly just horses. So if you want to do a horse racing right. movie, uh, Sea Biscuit, you come to Lexington. Well, you you guys got Bill Paxton going for you. You know, he's uh, that's all pretty. Uh, it's all we need. Endorsement. I love me some Bill Paxton. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, since you are the guest today, I did have you uh, choose the movie. Uh, you chose the 1998 Psycho. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a horror mystery thriller here, according to IMDb. So as I understand, this is pretty critically acclaimed by, by most people. <laughs> um, and I'll go ahead and put it out to the listeners now. Um, I myself have not seen either the original or the remake of Psycho. Um, it's funny because this is uh, the original is probably one of the few Hitchcock movies I have not seen. I've seen Rear Window, uh, Dow M for Murder, uh, Vertigo. So I've seen a lot of them. Uh, North by Northwest. Wow. Those those are like you know some of my top favorite Hitchcock movies. So I don't know why I haven't seen Psycho. I wonder if it's because it's one of those go-tos when you think of Hitchcock. It's just kind of like, I don't know. I guess no one's ever really told me, hey, you need to watch Psycho, that kind of thing. right? It took me, I think I think the Godfather trilogy, I only just watched like, um, what is it, 2014? I probably watched it like two, uh, 2009 wow. or something like that. So so yeah, just a few years ago. So it was just one of those one of those things. No one's ever really told me like, oh, you got to check it out. You know what I mean? I always knew it was good, but if if no one's really twisting my arm to check it out, then I don't feel like well, well there's so many other movies to go back and watch. Why why watch this if no one's really like telling me that I need mm -hmm. to go watch it? You know, despite it being a classic. Um, and here's something I keep forgetting to do the last few episodes with Phoenix, but I want to get into uh, a little bit of the parental guide as to why this one is rated R. Uh, the original is like TV 14, so they don't have an ad. I, I don't know if it's too old. Too, is that an MPAA rating? Do you know uh, TV 14? I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, that must be just for modern audiences, like when they aired on like TNT or something. Uh, because, yeah, I don't really know what you would rate the original um, I couldn't imagine it would be an R today. I mean, at, at worst, no. it would be PG-13. Uh, this mm -hmm. one, you know, I, I understand why, because they, they add uh, the violence is a little bit more impactful. Uh, there's there's blood in this one, and there's there's partial nudity, uh, which is not in the, the original. Uh, so that, that was something that was changed. But, uh, yeah, the original... Uh, I think would still be family friendly as long as they could they could kind of deal with the scary aspects of it. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Uh, with this one being a rated R, I was very curious to um, and obviously I, I haven't seen the original, but I was very curious to see what made this one an R. But going through it, there's no nudity except for I think there there was a um, like a uh, adult magazine that mm -hmm. was shown, uh, you know, a woman's breast. There's, um, you know, I guess Anne Hesh, you see like her bare mm -hmm. butt um, in one scene. As far as violence and gore, um, it, it's, you know, if you've seen the original, it's probably not that much different, right? As far as violence and gore. It's just, it's in color. I mean, it, it, 
yeah. it's in color exactly so it's not um you know uh hershey's chocolate right. syrup um there's there's no profanity no drugs and uh this movie i i feel it, it is pretty uh suspenseful um uh, pretty intense at uh at times I, I got frightened at one point and we'll get into that so that's basically it um for for those that uh, listen to the show i would be very hesitant to li- uh, let phoenix watch this it might be okay, but I, I feel if if the original is you know better than this and and isn't R, I would just let him watch the original and leave it at that, uh, you know, and and just kind of explain. Well, cycle the new one is basically you know a shot for shot you know remake is what it's known for. So it, I'd leave it up to him, but I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have chosen him to or chosen this particular movie to let him watch. So so I guess that's why we're doing it with you here uh so again the psycho 1998 horror mystery it's directed by gus van zandt starring vince vaughn and hesh and julianne moore a young female embezzler arrives at the bates motel which has terrible secrets of its own let's get it All right, Michael, uh, what is your history with this movie? Well, um, the original Psycho I watched at a, a very young age. Um, I was probably like eight or nine years old, and it was like one of those, um, like just kind of like a snow day from school. And uh, I think my mom and grandmother like uh, had rented a bunch of movies, and somehow there was a reference to um, the music in Psycho because that you were talking earlier about it's how some of these classic films you haven't gotten around to um, and you don't really know why or someone hasn't pushed them on you. It was one of those things that I, I, my memory of it at least is that I asked either my mom or my grandma, um, you know, what, what, why do people talk about the music like in psycho? Like what, what is that? Like, what is that reference to? And they were like, Oh, you need, you've never seen it. You need to see this movie. Like it's a great old scary movie. And you know, as a kid, I wasn't really that necessarily enthused about it. Like, the fact that you're saying it's an old scary movie, I thought it was going to be kind of silly or have like aliens or like, like monsters, like in terrible costumes. But it was one of those things they set me down and they, we watched it and it's like really stuck out in my mind. Uh, it's like one of my top two favorite movies. Like it's like this and like Pulp Fiction are like the two movies, the older one now are the two that kind of got me into movies because they kind of just, it wasn't just passive entertainment anymore. It was like, Oh man, this is something like new and different. And that's weird to say as a kid about a 1960 movie. So, yeah. you know, when I was a, this one came out and I was 15 or 16 and I was probably the only teenager that was like really pumped about psycho. Like, you know, most people around that time were getting excited about episode one coming out like the next summer. I, I right. was like pumped about psycho coming out like the remake. And I think that's what sets me apart from, most people who are fans or hold the original up in high esteem is that they were like appalled that they were doing a remake of it. Whereas I was just enthused that it was going to be out there for my friends to see it because they didn't care about Psycho. But maybe with the new one, you'd get younger audiences into it and then they'd go back and look at the older ones. Now, (laughs) I think this one and why it's kind of like a guilty pleasure for me is I don't know if it does that totally. I don't know if it causes people to go back and check out the older stuff. I hope it does, but from a filmmaking point of view, it's really interesting because it is a true shot-for-shot remake. It's not just a remake where they take the same story and then change a bunch of stuff. This is basically like if you want to see a stage play, 
someone just putting on the same show with different actors and like different costumes, but basically the same plot. And I think it's really uh, kind of almost original in a remake way that they did it that way, that they didn't change a whole bunch of stuff up. So even rewatching it for this podcast, I was still really enthusiastic to go back because the classic is still so ingrained in my head. That's really cool to see yeah. different actors kind of give their interpretation of it. And that, that's why I really like this version is just, just, it's just, just a different take on things. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see yeah. what you thought because uh, you had not seen the original. So you're, you're coming at it from a fresh perspective. Yeah, so so basically, I'll be uh, Phoenix in, the, in this episode, and you could be me, except for a little lighter skin. Um, uh, you know, it, it. I don't know if I've ever put out, you know, our uh, me and Phoenix's ethnicity, but I, I would imagine people would figure it out if they actually saw our logo. So I, I don't know. It, it's something that we try to um, go on without really revealing, uh, just to see if people would ever pick up on any clues or anything like that. But yeah, this this, uh, this particular one, you know, I, I I wouldn't say I was super uh, enthused <laughs> to like. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been wanting to watch this. It's just you know, it's I, I always thought when this movie would come up, I always wondered, you know, how bad could it really be, you know? So yeah, I, again, I'm coming in with this fresh perspective. You know, some may like, why did you even watch this one first? Well, you know, if the original is that good, I may appreciate the original that much more. For you know, being of its time and for it to hold up still, um, it, uh, IMDb as far as the ratings go, they're night and day, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. It's like eight, I think it's like eight point six or something mm-hmm. uh, for the original, four point six for for the remake. Yep. But Gus Van Zandt, you're familiar with the with the director mm-hmm. there? Um, not all of his work. I mean, I think you know his most famous one is probably Good Will Hunting, as far as most successful. Right. Um, I have not seen, I believe he did uh, My Own Private Idaho, I think, with Keanu Reeves in the early 90s and uh, River Phoenix. I think he did that. Um, yeah. I have seen, I think the most recent thing I saw from him was Promised Land with Matt Damon. I don't know if that's the last okay. thing he did. I really liked that, really enjoyed it. Um, I think Psycho is very different from his other work. His other work is usually very low-key, kind of independent filmmaking and sort of character studies. Yeah. Um, usually about someone's relationships or it's kind of uh, versatile. This is, you know, very pulpy and it's a thriller. So I think it's very different from the other work he does. Yeah. The, um, the biggest movie obviously that stands out for me is Goodwill Hunting. Um, it, I was looking through his filmography and there was a movie I thought that he did, but I, I guess not, but he, he likes to film in, in Portland too. There was a movie that he filmed, uh, called mm-hmm. Elephant. Uh, you're familiar I, I know with what it is. One? I have not seen it though. Yeah, it's about a school shooting, and it's loosely based on one of them. I forget which, but it was actually filmed in uh, the middle school that I attended, which has since been torn down um, due to like asbestos or something like that. But uh, so that was really uh, neat to see. Uh, I think that came out in like '03, and uh, I remember sitting there. I'm like, "Yep, I, I walked <laughs> down that hallway." So that was really cool. It, you know, like, like I said, um, growing up, Portland didn't get a lot of love. You know, uh, uh, one of our biggest things was um, Astoria, you know, where you had a Kindergarten mm-hmm. Cop and, and Goonies. <laughs> so that's what uh, that's what that region is kind of known for. Uh, but Goodwill Hunting, he did uh, basically a remake of himself, did Finding Forrester, mm-hmm. which is very similar. But do you know where he's born? Where he's, uh, he's from Kentucky, isn't he? <laughs> he is there yeah, we go thank you uh, I, I did not yeah. know that i was just looking just now at the imdb page thank you for giving kentucky a little love here yeah. portland doesn't have everything <laughs> at least we had gus van sant 
So look at that yeah, little cunning yeah. there. You know, this guy's from your part of town, and he likes to film up here. You know, right off off the bat, um, it it opens up. You know, very very sixties like. And I, again, I, I always knew that this was a shot-for-shot remake. I just didn't know to what extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with the opening credits, uh, down to the transitional swipes, you know, a- along with the credits, you know, it doesn't even show anybody. Um, it's just title cards and things of that nature. But before I even saw that it was a Danny Elfman score, it sounded very Danny Elfman, at least for the first, I don't know, quarter of the movie, maybe uh, first third uh, what'd you think about that? That's cool because um, he's clearly doing the the original, which I think was a Bernard Herrmann score, um, and yes. doing his his like version on it, um, which is it's kind of like the movie itself. It's like if you've heard the original, you, you know that's what it is. But also, if you've heard right. the original, you can kind of pick out how they've sort of modernized it and like it's it's basically like a you know a cover band doing their their version of the same song. Um, so I, I was into it, you know, as as a movie nerd and a, a psycho nerd, uh, you know, I, I was I was into it from the opening credits. Like when I watched this the first time, I was really jazzed to see that they were doing it that way, and uh, it was really cool that he he did his version of the this famous score, which is the reason you know I was I became interested in this movie. Yeah, so it it opens up with Phoenix, Arizona, um, and I wrote down the date: Friday, December eleventh, nineteen ninety eight, two forty three p.m. <laughs> yeah. There's no significance <laughs> to that whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that's part of you know. In the original Hitchcock, really wanted to throw people off. Um, you know, he was famous for uh, the MacGuffin, which is like a, a film term that's uh, associated with him. Which is he introduces something that the audience will think is significant to the plot, but really has no significance, just to sort of put them on edge and get the the plot moving. So when when I saw that both in the original and this one, uh, I sort of chuckle because your first instinct is to be like, okay, so we need to know what time this happened because there's going to be some sort of timeline where this is important. And it's not at all. But it, I think it kind of puts you in the, the mindset of Marion Crane that it's like it's whenever she, she leaves town that there is going to be some sort of clock that it matters. It matters what time she left and all that. But this is not going to be like a CSI episode. It really does not matter what, what day it was or what time. Uh. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's very interesting. I actually didn't know the um, the uh, the origin of the MacGuffin. So, so that's uh, that's a good piece to know. I know what it is. I just yeah didn't know where it came from. Um, so yeah, it opens up with uh, Viggo Mortensen and Anne Hesch. What what do you think about the casting for these two? Um, I was not. I'm. I don't know if I'm still that thrilled with uh, Anne Hesch as uh, the main character. I don't think she's bad necessarily. Um, and she she kind of tries to put her own spin on the character. Um, she's definitely mm-hmm. more uh, flirty, I think, in her interactions than the uh, original uh, version of that character. Now, Vigo, I really like. I think he is so much better than the original. The original version of this character was very bland, and he was very, like, he is the handsome hero. Like, that's that's all he is. Right. He's handsome. And he will hit you like with his like strong arms. That's that's about it. I think Vigo is much more playful and kind of funny in his interactions with her. He's kind of like kind of got that like sort of dry like sarcasm and these kind of like little mm-hmm. like pithy one liners. Like he, they're in this hotel room and he's, you know, they they're not going to be a respectable couple just yet because he's still um, <laughs> married. He's still got to you know get money together to get his divorce and sort of pay off his wife in a way, uh, alimony. And so they, they can't move on with their lives and become a married couple. 
And just he has this really kind of awkward line. I don't know if you took it this way where he says to her, like when when she does like like become a wife or become like his, like she'll swing or something, which is just like I think to modern audiences, like when you hear the word you'll swing, you think like who in the world uses that like terminology anymore? Right. And I think that that may be part of the issue with trying to update this film using the same script and shot for shot. But I think because uh-huh. the way he plays the character, you just kind of you just kind of think like, oh, that's just how this guy talks. He's just kind of like a strange, kind of cool dude, kind of hippie-ish in a way that he would just say those kind of funny words that don't really seem to be. They definitely don't seem to be like December eleventh, nineteen ninety-eight lingo. I don't think. <laughs> no, they don't. No, not at all. So, so I, I mean, uh, Gus Van Zandt obviously made very minor changes, you know, to this, and you know, we'll get there when we get there. But you know, because of some of the choice words and dialogue. I don't know. I, I just wish that it wasn't 1998 because you know, in some of my notes, I kind of, kind of write down that this doesn't seem you know 1998 mm. to me. Uh, whether it's uh, set pieces, clothing, um, uh, some of these mannerisms, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so we go to the office where Marion works, and uh, now Rita Wilson, she's just what another secretary or something. Yes, like that? I think so. Yeah, and she doesn't look 1998 at all. I mean, she's you know dressed 90 or 60s, and um, even some of her mannerisms. But I didn't mention this prior to us getting into it. But um, another thing I was very surprised was looking over at the cast. You know, there's there's a lot of big names mm-hmm. in here. You know, and 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 already you know what five minutes in, we already seen Rita Wilson. You know, not a super big name, but um, it, I, I would think something like this. Uh, you know Gus Van Sant, right? Like you said earlier, he's kind of kind of does a little bit more independent type movies with a, a lot of unknowns. Um, the movie Elephant he did; those were all local Portland kids mm-hmm. that, that that were casted to, to be in that movie. So yeah, I was very surprised just to see that uh, I recognized just you know almost everybody that played a role in this. Film. And that'll be that's the last time you'll see Rita Wilson too. It's just for that one office scene. Like that's that's it. Yeah. Um, and in the original. It was Alfred Hitchcock's daughter that played that part. So it was kind of just like a cool okay. nod, like he let his daughter play that that role. But uh, you were saying it's strange for this to be set in 1998, and I agree with you. Even as a shot-for-shot remake, they could have just kept it in 1960, and I think it would have made a little bit more sense because the, the character of uh, Caroline that uh, Rita Wilson plays is like – obsessed with like her husband and being married like she it's very like sort of old school thinking like you wouldn't think that women in the late 90s like your coworker would just be talking about like her husband and like what her her husband right. called and her mom called it seems very old fashioned and uh would get old quickly which it's it's kind of funny because the you know the Anne Hache character of uh, Marion Crane that's what she wants she she wants to get settled down but she's involved with a man that has baggage um, but it does seem awkward. It seems it seems kind of strange that this Rita Wilson character is just going on and on about her husband uh, in 1998, um, unless he's just yeah. a really swell dude, <laughs> just a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, who's this guy that that comes in with a really bad tan? Oh, um, that's uh, uh, the character of uh, like a- Tom Casty, the the money man, basically. And right. Yeah. He's yeah. uh he's getting ready to buy a house, which I guess they work in some sort of real estate you know, business because they're, um, he's going to put down $400,000 and the original, I believe was 40,000. So that was just, they just updated, they added another zero there. Um, right. But yeah, the guy with the really bad tan, um, in this version is 
um, way more over the top in his flirtations and a little bit more sexual, okay. like innuendo is in there. Because I think that's some of the – he has one line in particular in the office when Marion says she has a headache and is going to leave the office with his money. And supposedly he's going to go deposit it in the bank. Um, and says she has a, a headache. And he says, like, a weekend in Vegas will take care of that. And she says – I think I'm just going to spend the weekend in bed. And he says, that's like the only playground better than Vegas. That line was not, yeah. that, that was not in the original because that, that would not have flown past the censors in 1960. But yeah, he's just, just like you said, from his tan to the way he talks, he's just so over the top. Like, yeah. Sleazy yeah. Kind of yeah. Guy. Yeah. I, I read that, um, that, that line mm-hmm. was added as a uh, Hitchcock intended uh, by Gus Van Sant, which he, he, he did with something else later mm-hmm. on too, I, I believe. Um, and then what we see Marion's, I don't know if it's an apartment or a house, but I, I, it's really hard to compare, um, with the sixties because it was black and white, but just the way, um, her, her room was just so colorful and pink, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you know, it, it really reminded me of like a, like a set piece out of Tim Burns, Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, um. So I don't know if you have anything to comment on that. It just it's, seemed very colorful for a person like her. It's uh, it's very in your face that this version's in color and the other one wasn't. And it's not, okay. it's not just that. Yes, they've colorized it, but it's like you said. There's a lot of pink. There's like bright green, bright yellows, bright oranges. Like, yeah, you go into her room and it's like a funhouse of some sort. Like it doesn't. I, I don't really know what he was going for there, other than him making a comment like, "Look." look how bright this film is now that we can use color. But I'm pretty sure that's not how the Hitchcock version uh, would have looked uh, if he had chose to yeah. film it in color. I mean, he, you know, he had Cary Grant and uh, Jimmy Stewart looking pretty dapper and pretty sharp and like, you know, some very like light gray or blue suits. I don't think it would have been pink or like bright neon green. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and more on the color. Let's talk about uh, James Remar, you know, from warriors here. He's a, he plays a cop who pulls her. Well, it doesn't pull her over cause she's already, um, pulled off to the side, sleeping in her car. But the, the first thing I noticed was his uh, sirens, his lights, you know, red, yellow, and blue. Uh, and those just stuck out, and it kind of bothered me. And, and it, I guess that harks back to what you said, that like, oh, hey, let's, we're doing this in color. Let's add color to it. <laughs> you know, so it was just uh, pretty vibrant. Mm-hmm. It, just, it really stuck out. Um, and it's so funny because uh, I think it wasn't until about uh, about at this point in the movies when I actually put on earbuds. Um, I actually started this movie about eleven thirty last night, which I was a little concerned that um, you know I, I have uh, mentioned this to you on your podcast that you know uh, sometimes I watch a movie and I'll fall asleep mm-hmm. just because it's so late. But this kept me engaged. That uh, prior um, after the movie, it was what pushing one thirty. And I went on YouTube and I started watching clips of, you know, uh, side-by-side mm-hmm. scenes, you know, the, uh, comparison, that kind of thing. So I was up to almost, actually, no, I was up past 2 a.m. Uh, on my time, you know, just looking up other stuff just because I was so interested. And I, I tend to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I was very surprised that I, I was able to stay up for the whole thing. But uh, now this cop scene, see, now James Remar, uh, not not a big guy, but but one people know, mm-hmm. right? Um uh, at 1998, he's already done uh, uh, Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I think that's where I first saw him before I started seeing him in, uh, uh, what is that movie where he played like a, like a porn star? Um, was it The Girl Next Door? Does that sound right? I, I haven't but, seen uh, that one. Me- 
Oh, you haven't seen that one? I, I think it was like Emil Hirsch. Oh, okay, and, yes, that, that's what uh, it is. Yeah, yeah, they broke into his house to steal like one of his uh, uh, trophies or something for being an adult <laughs> star. But anyway, so and uh, Warriors. So, so this guy has a very distinctive look. And when he opened up his mouth just a little bit, I saw the teeth and go, that's James Reed. He's got that voice. He's uh, got that voice, too. He's got that voice, too. Very gruffy voice. Uh, I, I like the guy um, and, and really creepy. I When I first saw this, uh, and this is after... You know, let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit. But he wakes her up. She's sleeping in the in, in the side of her vehicle. Obviously, you know, it was late at night. We saw her dozing off, and it's one of the poorest acting of falling asleep <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, so she wakes up. Uh, he wakes her up, and you know, she explains what happened last night. But I didn't feel that she was acting suspicious at all. You know, I I felt that he was a little bit more. Um, did you feel that she was getting agitated from him <clears throat> questioning her? I mean, I think she was definitely short with him and wanted to get away away from him as quickly as possible. But uh, if I'm in his shoes, you could be understanding like, oh, this woman pulled over. She was drowsy. She obviously thought she was going somewhere. She didn't pull into a hotel. She's not on a trip, not on a vacation. Uh, maybe she's just late. Maybe she needs to get where she's going and she didn't realize how late she had slept. You know, she just fell asleep in her car I didn't think that that necessarily would make make me paranoid that she had to get somewhere really fast because it's not very often people right. pull over on the side of the road and fall asleep. Um, I know when I watched the original, uh, you, you mentioned that it's a really poor acting job, her trying to fall asleep. When I watched it the first time, and you know, I know this movie's named Psycho. I knew nothing else about it other than it's got this famous music and there's something about a shower. That's all I knew. I right. thought that she was the crazy one. I thought she was the psycho because there's voices okay. going on in her head and she's got that weird look about her like when she's falling asleep and it's like these weird visions like the car, the lights, the rain. And I don't know, it's like this weird close-up of her face. So I kind of still like that moment because I remember as a kid thinking like, oh, she's this is the bad guy. This is the person I should be afraid of. And like, what is she going to do like when she leaves town? She's got this money and people are going to come after her and she's going to kill them. That's what, that's what I was thinking initially. Um yeah. On that same note, that cop though is very creepy himself. Like you said, like I would be scared Absolutely. if it, like just the way he's talking to me and those sunglasses and the way they frame his face, like right there, like all over the screen. Uh, he's a very imposing figure. So no, I didn't necessarily think that she looked uh, suspicious then. However, when she gets to the car lot, she looks very suspicious. Exactly. So that's where I felt that it kind of flipped around. You know that that that's when she kind of like uh, you know kind of breaks you know, quote unquote, her character, you know, n now she's acting super suspicious. You're, you're, you're trading your car in at a car lot while this cop mm -hmm. is watching you, you know, uh, because I was going to kind of defend her be like, well, you know, not everybody can, can pay for a, a mm -hmm. motel hotel overnight. And, and yeah, people pull over to the side. Most go to like a rest stop or a rest area. And I don't know, you know, in the sixties, if there, if there were such things and if it was placed back then, that might be a little bit more believable. Uh, but being 98, it'd be hard to um, imagine that she couldn't find one. But again, at, at that point, I didn't. I thought the cop was a little was a little over the mm -hmm. top. But then when she gets to the car lot, that's where I felt that okay, she kind of ruined it for herself. But uh, I was I was a little I was kind of bummed out that it, uh, the cop really led to nothing. Uh, I thought he was going to have a play um, into the whole story, you know, a la Texas Chainsaw mm -hmm. Massacre, you know, or at least uh, the oh three remake uh, i don't remember much from the original but uh you know spoiler alert that the you know the the, the cop he had a play in the story mm 
but let's see here. She gets to the Bates Motel. Um, and at first, I didn't find it that it was uh, uh, unpleasant looking at all, really. And, you know, I know very little of the movie. Um, so when I saw the, the motel, I go, well, that's not the way I remember it. Until she started walking around, and then you saw that mm -hmm. house behind. And I go, oh, okay, so so there's a house behind the motel. And then I, you know, read further uh, up on the movie afterwards. And, yeah, I, I guess um, it's the exact same motel that they used in the 60s movie. Yeah, the motel's the same, and the, yeah. the house is different, correct? They used a different... Yeah, the... I think they built the house in front of the exterior of what they used in the in the sixties. Um, so yeah, very interesting because I I don't think I've ever seen like an image of the motel. I've always seen mm -hmm. that house. Uh, even in uh, there's something called not the TV show, but there's something else I've seen that wasn't the original Psycho movie. Uh, again, all they show is the house. Um, and, and I get it. It's, it's more iconic and a lot of things definitely happen there. I was just kind of curious that, uh, you know, a lot of it takes place at the motel also, mm -hmm. and I've just never seen it. So I was, I was very thrown off by that. Um, what do you think about the, the, the set? And I mean, it, it was, it's cool. Like as a, as someone that was a huge fan of this as a, as a kid, when I, I saw this in theaters in 98, you know, you bring a lot of baggage to it. Like you said, it, the, the house itself is very iconic. So you see that house and you think, okay, there's something bad here. Um, but it is right next to this very, very generic, like motel. Like, I mean, it's, there's nothing ominous really about the layout of it. It's just like in an L shape and there's nothing dark or like the sign isn't foreboding. I know in this one, they, the sign, there's a little tongue in cheek reference to it being newly renovated, uh, cause it's a remake. Right. Um, for me, the biggest thing watching the new one is you're seeing the sign actually lit up. You're seeing the red color that kind of makes it. And it's just different because it is kind of stuck for me in that black and white uh, image. I think that the remake's house doesn't look quite as evil because it's not in black and white. You know, you just have this sort of black house, you know, against this dark sky and sort of the moonlight in the original. And where it's stark black and white, I don't know, it just has more foreboding look. Here, I think they try to do that with the red for the Bates Motel. I think they tried to get off that sort of blood imagery. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I liked it. I mean, I, I like that they did make it look as close to the original as possible. It's really cool. Yeah, I appreciate that in, in, in remakes. I, I know uh, someone has actually asked me before on uh, on a previous episode I, I, I did or, or that I featured on, uh, and they asked, like, how would I feel about a Back to the Future remake? Um, and you know what? There's nothing I can do to prevent it if something happens. Um, I would, I don't know, I guess I, I really haven't put much thought into it because I don't want it to happen. But if it were, um, you know, I want someone to kind of do a shot-for-shot -shot mm -hmm. remake, you know, and, and maybe update the special effects and things like that. There was somebody I tweeted out on Twitter as as a joke, somebody that was kind of involved with the original uh, the franchise, and I was like, "Hey, the the actors they're in the forties now. Why why don't you you know shoot them on a green screen and superimpose them in the, you know, in the original movie, uh, a la uh, George Lucas." Mm -hmm. um, and that's the only thing I would want, really, is to somebody just kind of update like some of the older shots and just kind of leave it be, really. So, um, but but I kind of like this the the shot for shot, and and they're getting everything right uh, down to even using the, the same buildings mm -hmm. and location and things like that. Uh, now, is this um, it, this is a, a the back lot of Universal, right? right? Correct. Um, okay, so so this isn't actually like a, a location somewhere that that people can go to. No, uh, as far as what I've read, you can still, I guess, on the tour now. They've got both 
both houses that people go to mm-hmm. and they can sort of drive past that set. Uh, I don't know. It's it's really cool. It gives you that sort of old Hollywood sort of movie magic type feel to know that it was just it is just a set somewhere that you can just drive past. Yeah, I like that very much. Uh, we get to meet Vince Vaughn here. Uh, it is funny because my first note that I wrote about him was he's he's acting much like a mama's boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I I don't know if that's just from you know the very little I know about the the movie that could have you know played mm-hmm. into that. Uh, but yeah, he, he's kind of playing it off well. Uh, did you get to see who were some of the character or some of the actors that were maybe up for this role or, or were in consideration? Uh, the two biggest ones uh, I recall were Christian Bale and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I believe were up for it. I saw, I saw those. Yeah, yeah. The um, those two I remember, but the two that I thought that maybe could have I don't know maybe looked the part and done a good job was the. Um, Robert Sean Leonard. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I think I think he can play uh, this very well, and I have nothing to base it off of except for his portrayal of Wilson in in the show House. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see him playing kind of like a mama's boy, and he can be very creepy. So I thought I thought that might uh, could have been a good casting in the Joaquin Phoenix one. I think could could have been a good one. I don't know about Christian Bale. Um, but I haven't seen American Psycho either, so I yeah, that's don't know a, if the character. That's a very are. different uh, type of <laughs> type of psycho. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Robert Sean Leonard probably is a closer approximation to the Anthony Perkins version. Um, the I guess the creepiest part about Vince Vaughn's portrayal, uh, and I think a thing that people really don't like about him playing Norman Bates is that he is you know he's a big man. He's like is he like mm-hmm. six foot four or something. I mean he's. Oh, and yeah, especially right, for an right, actor, because right, yeah, yeah. most actors are very short people. Um, you know, he looks very physically imposing. And, you know, Anthony Perkins' version was very thin and didn't look like someone that was that aggressive or could be physically uh, violent towards you. And what I like about Vince Vaughn's portrayal is that you do see this uh, rather large, fit man who is so, as you put it, sort of meager and sort of meek. Um, like a mama's boy, he is very like he's clearly not very confident in himself in the way he talks, mm-hmm. and it is strange, especially for Vince Vaughn with what he would later become with a lot of his comedic roles is like the smooth talker who's always got like a smart ass line, very confident in his abilities. Um, this is a very different role for him, and I, I kind of like when people kind of stretch out and do something that different because it, it is very off putting. It, it keeps the audience on their toes. Yeah, I, I like his portrayal in here. Um, at first, I was really trying to shake, you know, his character from uh, Wedding Crashers, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> you, you know, but, and I just try to think back to, like, Swingers or something, mm. uh, you know, somewhere uh, thereabouts, but, yeah, I I really didn't start um, liking him until, right, till about, he started talking about his whole taxidermy mm-hmm. type stuff. Um, one of my notes I, I just missed here was that uh, when Marion was looking out the window and overhearing the fight, it kind of reminded me of like Howard and his mom from Big Bang mm-hmm. Theory. Um, so, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the he he comes back with food for for Marion, um, and there, there's just some of the dialogue again. I wish they might have uh, could change a little bit to make it sound a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one line he says, I'd like it very much if you came up to the house. It's like, he really <laughs> says it like that. You know, they could have modernized mm-hmm. that a little bit. Um, but the whole taxidermy stuff, I didn't know that about 
uh, Norman. But I do remember seeing a picture of um, remind me again the the original actor's name Anthony so, Perkins Anthony Anthony Perkins I remember seeing a picture of him and like a stuffed bird behind him uh, which I think was just like a like a promotional still not an actual shot mm-hmm. from the scene but and I could be wrong it, it could be from from the actual movie no I think uh, I think I you're actually right I, I think I know the image you're talking about I think it was just a promotional thing just advertising okay okay yeah yeah so I I was. It, it, that whole scene and seeing all the birds, it, it really did kind of, um, it, it was really creepy, you know, I'll, I'll admit. And that kind of, um, that kind of explained a little bit more from, from the little that I do know. In one of the cover boxes of Psycho that I have seen, I think on the backside, it actually shows the mummified version of Mother. Mm-hmm. So when Norman here talks about him liking, uh, like stuffing birds and things of that nature, it kind of like okay, that's that's that explains the mm-hmm. mom. So, so that so I already kind of knew that. So yeah, there's there's this, you know obviously stuff that was spoiled for me, but that's why um, I warned. It, it really didn't take. I me warned out. my girlfriend every time we were like I pull a movie off the shelf that I'm like, have you seen this? And she'll say no, and I get really excited because I'm like, oh cool, you get experiences for the first time. And she'll grab the DVD or the Blu-ray. And she'll look at the back, and I'm like, don't look at the back. Like no, if you if you don't know anything about yeah. it, just just let me. It's good. Just watch it. Uh, but yeah, there's there's just going to be stuff that I think that, like I've said before, the shower sequence. As a kid, I, didn't, I mean, I was already suspicious of Marion as the psycho. And I still was like, okay, what happens in the shower scene? That There's just some stuff that seeps into uh, mainstream pop culture that you can't get away from. And I think the mother character, no. you know, some of that stuff's going to be spoiled for you now. You know, uh, there was an episode of Looney Tunes that spoiled the shower scene for me. <laughs> See, yeah, it's just yeah, it's too uh, famous yeah, now. Yeah, Bugs yeah bugs bunny gets stabbed by a carrot and then you know uh off camera somebody pours some hot chocolate in or you know chocolate syrup into the mm-hmm. water uh and, and then um not too long ago i watched that hitchcock movie with the uh anthony hopkins and we actually kind of get to see a little bit behind mm-hmm. the scenes of the filming of psycho so i actually saw scarlett johansson in this yeah. role too so despite being somewhat spoiled i, I was still I guess it really wasn't that bad for me. Uh, I was still able to kind of enjoy everything. Again, the whole taxidermy thing was, um, you know, brand new to me. Uh, the story he gets into about um, the, a boy's best friend is his mother. I just like the way uh, Marion, you know, this, this look she gives him, kind of like, okay, you're you're a creep now. I need to go to my room. Uh, so that was really good. I, I don't know how the original actress Janet uh, yeah. Lee uh, played played that. Do you recall, or was the line similar? Or? It was, um, you know, the the lines are similar, but uh, the performances are slightly different in that. Um, I think that she takes on a more the Janet Lee version takes on a more motherly of. Uh, kind of tone with him and with Vince Vaughn and, and Hesh together, it's more like peers. Like she's just like talking to a coworker or a friend and in the original, the Janet Lee one, she kind of, at least the way I read it, she almost instantly reads this, like I'm more worldly than this guy. You know, he's always, he's a local and he still lives with his mom. Like I can give him advice on how to like live his life. Whereas the, the Anne Hayes thing was, it seemed to be more buddy buddy. Like she wasn't really lecturing him as much. So it was a, it was slightly different in the performance. Right. 
Yeah, I can see that. Be- just because of her reaction, that's more of a modern take. Kind of like, you know, she's obviously, uh, you know, that she appears that she can be kind of independent. Mm-hmm. And for him to make a comment like that, like, okay, you're you're not somebody I'd hang out with, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I just feel like in the 60s film or the 60s um, version of the movie that, uh, yeah, she, she would play it differently. So that makes sense if she played it motherly, uh, Janet Lee, that is. Um Okay, that's pretty interesting. Now, Marion, she let me see, she gets offended. No, he, she accidentally offends him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the point where she brings up like, "Oh, why don't you put her like in a home or something like that?" And then he kind of talk. Uh, so, yeah, he he gets mad and is like, "What? what like a madhouse?" Mm-hmm. And um, so this is yeah, this is when I'm starting to see like, okay, maybe this is why they picked Vince Vaughn because uh, I I don't know, I got a little mm-hmm. scared and um. And this, I don't think the show, uh, the movie ever really answers it or even gets into it, but I felt like maybe he himself was in a madhouse. Yeah, you can it, uh, sort of infer from that because he talks about the way people look at you in there. Right. And so it's yeah. like how he, he has a perspective of someone who's had those looks given to him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a accurate reading that he was he was somewhat in some sort of institution at an earlier age um, and is speaking from his own experience. Okay, yeah, and then so shortly after this, this is when Marion feels that um you know she was tired and needs to uh, needs to go back to her motel room and and take a shower. Um, now the, yeah, there is one <laughs> thing I I, I did kind of miss that uh, when she first checked in, she uh, checked in with uh, Marie Samuels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of uh, harked back because uh, when she was leaving the room, um, you know he you know I don't know the expression bids her farewell for the evening mm-hmm. or whatever and it says miss and she says crane i go oh you messed up because you signed samuels and i just like the way um vince vaughn or norman bates here kind of kind of plays it he walks over and is like oh she's lying she's up to mm-hmm. something and she had she had uh, lied previously know. too i think just in that same little little bit that little exchange because she said she needed to go back to phoenix because she had stepped into one of those traps and she needed to get herself out of it and when she had asked where she was from or home address, she'd said Los Angeles. So kind of in that same oh, right. exchange, she she kind of the the register was wrong on both counts, both her name and her address. Yeah, I remember her mentioning Los Angeles. So yeah, wow, she's not very smart. Is she? <laughs> no, not not she's not uh, very good criminal. Clearly, no, not at all. Uh, neither of these two really. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so the shower scene, um, I, I got to see a, I think, like, four-minute YouTube clip of well, the, can we, um, you know, the side. Can we backpedal just one little bit? Sure. Okay, because yeah. uh, you talked about it in your opening because you said it would not be uh, very family-friendly, especially for your two-year-old or your, your son, Phoenix, uh, oh, the masturbation. And, yeah. <laughs> because people have a big issue with that. And I tend to agree with them. I think it's it's more realistic, but in the original all he does, you know, it's just like a peeping Tom shot. You can kind of read into that he, you know, he's doing something he shouldn't be doing and maybe later goes and, and does that. Like, but in the modern version, you get the, you know, you get the almost comedic sound effects and you clearly know what he's doing. And the original, oh, yeah. it was not, of course, it couldn't be that way at all in 1960. Um, I kind of have an issue with that because I, every time I've watched this with someone who has never seen it, they start laughing during it and it's just because they it's so on the nose what they're doing that it's very uncomfortable to watch with other people so they start sort of chuckling and i really prefer the original version because it still maintains its creepiness because they don't 
make it clear what he's doing. He just is spying on this woman, and everybody knows that's kind of creepy. Um, so that that is my biggest issue with the newer version is the fact that they actually go for the the sex act there, and they make it somewhat funny, which I wish I wish they didn't. Okay, yeah, I, no, I can see what you mean by that. I I actually forgot. Um, no, I was gonna bring this part up, but I just forgot it was before or like during the shower. So yeah, it was it was while she was undressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find it comedic. I I when I saw it, I go, I'm pretty sure this wasn't in the '60s <laughs> right. version, and and I know why they put mm-hmm. it in there. I I actually I actually liked it. I, I uh, th- that kind of plays more into him being not so normal. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and I don't know, I guess peeping Toms, you, you can imagine what some of the things they do. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess this is just a little bit more fleshing out the character mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, but maybe if it's um, like you said, it was too on the nose. Maybe they could have pulled back and maybe, um, you know, show him start to like touch himself el- elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we can kind of assume what's going to happen. That hand is going to lead somewhere else. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I totally get that. But, yeah, I, I was fine with it. Um and yeah, so yeah, the shower scene. I guess there's really not a whole lot to talk about there because it, it's it's yeah. I saw the side by side is shot by shot. Uh, almost the only difference is is after. Um, uh, actually, let me talk about the whole mother figure mm-hmm. walking in. That kind of creeped me out. You know, just uh, just just the the I don't know the promptness uh, of it. He just kind of just walked in and, and just did it. So it, it wasn't even like a slow and easy kind of thing. Is that how it was done in the original? Yeah. Was it, Quick yeah, like yeah, it's just it's. Well, I guess I did see it. Just uh, but, um, the, I mean, the main difference is the uh, the look of mother. You know, the hair is like sort of long and flowing, uh, and it kind of looks more crazed. Uh, you can actually see the eyes better uh, in the the modern version, and the other one is just sort of like a black shadowy figure, and you kind of see like an old. You know, it's an older lady because the way the hair is sort of in a bun. Uh, right. But I think the newer one. Uh, is scarier looking. I think that was one update that they sort of improved for modern audiences because I think if you just left it a shadowy, shadowy figure, it would look, you know, too comical, like an old, like spoof of like a spy movie where you just see like a, a shadow come out with a gun and like shoot somebody. Um, I think that was well done. I, the only issue I had with the shower sequence now is, um, they, you know, they make that step to update it for modern audiences by making the mother figure look scarier. Um, but they're, they are doing shot for shot and you even have like the, the sort of famous mistake where, um, in the original you have the knife up against the stomach area of Marion and it's Uh not going, it's not stabbing into her, but it's just like placed up against it as if someone was posing a knife up against their stomach. And it's a cool nod for the film nerds out there because, you know, they've, they've broken down the old 1960s shower sequence you know, frame by frame to where they can see that, where they can see, hey, look, isn't it funny the knife doesn't actually go in, but it's happening so quick that you don't notice. Right. They went out of their way to make that same mistake, knowingly make that same mistake, just as a nod to the original. Um, I think if you're a newer audience that watches it now, um, like, I don't know, whenever your son gets old enough to, to watch this, if he's seen other slasher films at that point, I don't know if it'll have the same effect. I don't know if it'll look kind of quaint because – it's not it's not as gory as what you're going to see now. You don't actually see the stab impact. Um, right. So I, I don't know if they really updated enough for modern audiences to really get into it. It's more of a nod to people who like the original than it is uh, a new slasher movie. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think um, that that's something that probably, uh, yeah, probably wouldn't really need to be updated. But I, I can see where someone uh, maybe a little bit younger might be like, well, f- <laughs> they should have just 
you know, gone with it. Right. It's already rated R, that kind of thing. But um, no, yeah, I, I guess that's definitely debatable, uh, really. Uh, and and the the biggest difference I saw uh, was basically the the end shot of the uh, the zoom in on the mm-hmm. eye, uh, where it's just a pull back with the uh, Hitchcock version and and Van Zant's was a kind of a spiral mm-hmm. like a s- slow spiral zoom out, and they don't break they don't break to in the original they cut from her oh. her eye to the shower head because the actress um, there was some mistake made where there was some sort of movement or flutter and apparently nobody else caught it, but uh, Hitchcock's wife did. And she noticed it when they were running like the dailies. And so that they put in the, the shower head because otherwise he wanted to do the same continuous shot where it goes from the, the drain to the eye. And then the, it goes from the eye and goes to pants to the money in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the window right. where Norman comes down. It's still really effective in the original, um, because it kind of gives you that that one uh, shot back of the shower head, and you see the water continue to go. And it's kind of creepy because it's like the water's still running and life kind of goes on, but there's this like dead body in this room now. And it just like as you said, it just happens so fast. Um, and when I was a kid, I was totally at a loss at where the this movie was going. I was like, you know, I I thought this woman was the main character. I thought it was going to be about the money. You know, the money ends up being a, a MacGuffin as well. Like, it does not matter. Like, because right. when Norman comes in and cleans up uh, what his mother has done, uh, you know, he puts the body and the mop and everything in the trunk. And the very last thing he goes for is the newspaper with the money. <laughs> and there's even a moment in this one where he, like, starts to unfold the newspaper and then he just ends up throwing right. it in the trunk. And it's like, they're go- you know, the money's going to go. In the, in the swamp with uh, with her and the body. Uh, so it's up, the money doesn't matter. Yeah, th- th- throughout this mo- movie, I go, they got to come back to that money. <laughs> you know, and, and it's even brought back up again later on. I go, oh, he's going to go back and get it now, <laughs> you know, which he never does. Um, but a- a- after, uh, I guess there's one slight shot that was added that, that I kind of liked was just showing – uh, and Hesh from above, mm-hmm. and you, you know it, it shows that she's completely nude. Mm-hmm. And you see her rear a little mm-hmm. bit, and that's it's not why I like it, but it's just um, uh, again, if you're gonna make this rated R, you know, yeah, make it rated R. Add, add a few more things. Um, yeah, it's it's not a so, titillating shot or sexual in any way. It is just you're seeing this woman, just a dead body, like just like yeah. uh, laying on the on the ground there and the bathroom tile, and uh, yeah, that that's something. That's what you can do with a modern update, as you said, where it's R-rated uh, now. Is that and that this wouldn't even be considered any sort of hard R movie. I mean, this is not. No. I mean, it's it's fairly light as far as R-rated films go. One problem I have was with this uh, him attempting to clean the bathroom. Now they they never mention uh, aside from the mother and uh, boyfriend. As far as we know, I don't I don't know if he's really killed anybody else, but just. He is spreading DNA all over that bathroom <laughs> with that mop, <laughs> and this is where like watching too much CSI ruined it for me. I go, this is 1998. <laughs> you know, even if he gets away with it, he's not gonna get away with it. <laughs> They're gonna find all that blood DNA uh-huh. in 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 the drainage. They're gonna find it on the floor in between the cracks. Because yeah, he he gets a mop and he is just rubbing blood all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it just uh, I felt that maybe that could have been a little bit more updated. But that kind of shows that this guy he's he's not your your uh, Dexter. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? That this guy is very careless and um, yeah, making a lot of mistakes. So I I, I get that, but it's just kind of like, oh really? You're spreading blood all <laughs> over the, all over the floor, man. 
and then the whole uh, you know dumping the vehicle off at the swamp uh, th- that's nearby obviously right because there's there's a scene later on right. where there's shouting and he kind of hears it from the from the yeah motel. I assumed it was still someone on their property or something like because it's it's uh, it seems too close to where the the motel is actually located uh, to be separate. Yeah. I, I just this is where I thought it was kind of funny, not in a bad way that that just kind of worked. He's sitting there, you know, he keeps feeding himself. I don't know if it's M and M's or mm-hmm. what. Just you know, just keeps snacking on little pieces of candy as the car is like going uh, sinking into the uh, into the swamp, and it just kind of stops. And then you still you still get the butt of the vehicle sticking out a little bit. He he's kind of looking around like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, what, what should I do here? And then it finally goes down. So is that how the original is? Yeah, um, it's very much uh, in the original. Uh, I think it's played almost exactly the same way. Um, but I mean, what it does is it, it puts you oddly on his side because now we've lost our main character. We've been with Marion crane the whole time up to this point from her point of view. Now it's from Norman's point of view and it makes the audience almost uh, complicit in what he's doing because you you're with him as he cleans up the body, puts it in, he comes out uh, to the motel and there's even a car that passes and he like, he like drops his mop in her suitcase and like try. He like smiles at this passing car, right? Um, and so you're kind of. I don't know if you're rooting for him as if you really like what has happened here, but you're you're kind of along for the ride and you're rooting for that car to like go down. So when it stops, I think at least for me, I feel like oh no, I like I'm like oh what are we gonna do now? And I'm like wait a minute, I'm not involved in this. Like I no, I don't I don't yeah. I don't condone this at all. Why am I saying what are we gonna do? But yeah, it gives you just that moment of like kind of scare for him that it's not gonna sink. Yeah, it, no, you're you're definitely right about that. I uh, because also when prior to him coming to clean up the room, he's running out of the house. It's like, mother, you know, what did you mm-hmm. do or w- whatever he says. So you, um, if you haven't been completely spoiled, you're still kind of like, wait, did his mom come out and do this? Because we did see the mother figure. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself, I wasn't sure. I didn't know his mom had been dead for ten years. So I didn't know if she was still alive and he was going to kill her at some point, or did he go and kill her when he went to go get the food and bring it out to Marion? So I, I still wasn't sure, you know, as far as the timeline of uh, those things that I knew happening, uh, if that makes any sense. So, so at this point, I, I was kind of maybe sixty forty uh, on the side that he was maybe covering up for his mm-hmm. mom. So I wasn't sure if she was actually uh, dead at this point, which I don't know if that says anything about me because I, I do know there's a mummified version of her <laughs> that I have seen. So it, that can have been, you know, instantaneous. Um, oh, we get to uh, meet Flea. We meet Flea. <laughs> Very distracting. <laughs> we, yeah, we, yeah, we uh, we cut to where uh, Sam Loomis, played by Viggo Mortensen, is, uh, he works here, correct? Yeah. He, I don't know if he owns the place or... Uh, but Flea works there, you know, from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, you know, I recognize him off the bat just because Back to the mm-hmm. Future. And, and obviously, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if he's a bassist or... I think he's a bassist for uh, Chili Peppers, okay. I think. Uh, but, yeah, Julianne Moore um, is is probably the most updated-looking person in there, the more, more modern, anyway, with her <laughs> down to her Walkman. <laughs> now, what, do they... Do they does the character Lila does she have something? Um, from what I've read, uh, Julianne Moore, um, I think was the one who wanted to go furthest away, and I think Gus Van Sant encouraged this because he really disliked um, Sam uh, Loomis and uh, Lila Crane. He it disliked the original versions of those characters, the way the actors played them, 
And mm-hmm. even as a fan, a huge fan of the original, you know, I, I said that uh, Vigo was my favorite recasting because I felt like he actually gave this char- he made this a character as opposed to just the boyfriend, the handsome boyfriend. Um, Julianne Moore, it's funny you said, you know, they they update it with the Walkman from 1998. But I'm sure if your son Phoenix watched this, he would be like, "What is with those headphones? Like, what is is that a tape player? Like, what is she? <laughs> what has she got there?" Yeah. Um, she's she kind of stands out now her character um is way more aggressive in this film than the sister character in the original the sister in the original i believe is she was she, younger she too, was the, right she the was younger like, sister yeah the kid sister and this one she's the older one and you get the more protective feeling like she's she's you think that she's probably had to do this before for her sister or her sister's kind of gotten in trouble and she's the one that kind of takes up for her because she comes in and starts yelling at sam like She's basically accusing him of being in on it or hiding her. In the original, it was played much worse. She was like this shrill woman who was like constantly on the verge of a breakdown, like and getting ready to cry in tears. And Julianne Moore does not play it that way at all. Like she plays it like she's going to beat your ass, like if you don't give her answers. So I'm much more in favor of the newer version of this character because I feel I find it more believable that she would be the one to want to go investigate this, like take charge. So I, I sort of like the the updated version of the sister. I, uh, I I like the take. I have nothing to compare it to. My thing is that I wonder if Julianne Moore was the right cast for for it. Do you think? Because you said Viggo Mortensen's your your favorite uh, recast, but what do you think of Julianne Moore? Like I, I like the way she plays it. I don't know if I like her in that role though. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think that some of the line readings she's given are very awkward because they are sticking to the original script. And I think she does as much with the character as she can. But you still get the impression that the way Julianne Moore is choosing to play it, her character would not use the words or the lines that she uses, like the way she's saying them. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't really buy into Julianne Moore or uh, Anne Heche either. I think I would have probably preferred other actresses for those parts. And I say that as a huge fan of Julianne Moore. Like I love her in Boogie Nights and a lot of other things from that time period I think she was great in. Um, but yeah, I think I think maybe a different set of sisters would have been better. Um in this in this same scene, we actually we get William H Macy, who I was very happy with as the private investigator, and I think I loved. Yeah, I thought he was his character was great. It was probably one of my favorite characters. And he's the exact opposite of Julianne Moore and uh, Viggo Mortensen in that he he is playing it purposely, pretty much just like the PI in the original. Like that's he wanted to stay with the the same way that that actor played the part. So it's really weird to see those three in the scene because they're they're on opposite ends of how they chose to like play their roles. But I, I thought he was great as the the private investigator of uh, Arbogast. Yeah, I I've liked him ever since uh, Pleasantville. So I wonder if Gus Van Sant watched it go. We need <laughs> William H Macy to play the same character just as a private eye <laughs> because that guy he looks like you took him straight mm-hmm. out of the '60s. Um, you know, from his uh, line delivery and uh, his posture, there was one point how he um, kind of he was leaning up against a table or something with the elbow, and that's just just something I, I would see a uh, you know someone of that you know like a cop private eye like that's how they kind of acted back then you know in the older movies they, they were they were never really like uptight not that I remember some were kind of laxed and were just kind of like. Um, you're, you're guilty and pro- uh, until proven innocent. Really, really that like kind of cool thing. characters who like kind of seen everything. Yeah. They kind of like they're not surprised by much. Um, my favorite moment in that scene when he he comes into the hardware store and he's been watching them argue. Uh, basically, he's been watching uh, Lila scream at Sam and accuse him. 
So just mm-hmm. by that, he kind of already knows, okay, at the very least, the uh, older sister and the lover are not in on it together because the older sister seems to distrust the boyfriend. Um, but then he comes in, and after he introduces himself, he watches them talk to each other. Like there's a sh- the camera pans around, and it just kind of shows his face while – uh, Sam and Lila are talking and it just shows him just going back and forth watching uh, what they're saying to each other and you can see him working at it out in his head like who do I believe here like do I believe either of these people just really cool and I think uh, William H. Macy is just awesome in that playing that sort of old fashioned P.I. and he just seems perfect for the part yeah and that, I guess that's the problem I have is like yeah he's playing it so old fashioned mm-hmm. you got Sa- uh, Sam Loomis same thing right they, uh, Vigo is playing him uh, like like from the 60s as well and then you got Julianne Moore who, who's even dressed modern mm-hmm. she's got the the headphones which she even references which I, I felt like they could have not you know they could have just dropped that line yeah. uh, I just felt that her oh, you know let me grab my headphones or, or my Walkman or whatever she says I'm like okay that's that's a little too on the nose, and that that kind of bugged me uh, with that line there. Uh, the, there are many things that they could have done this to modernize it, and then they throw that line mm-hmm. in. I was just kind of rolled my eyes a bit. I, I think the um, when you attempt to tinker too much with trying to modernize something, it loses that timeless quality, and it's better just to go timeless. It's better not to put yeah. yourself – don't back yourself into a corner to where it's like, okay, now she's got the headphones – a Walkman that looks ridiculous in the age of like you know iPods or you know iPhones or all that. You know, now it just makes that look really dated. Uh, so I agree with you. It just it comes off as awkward watching it. It probably came off as awkward even then watching it. It was just kind of strange that that's the defining character trait of this person. Her headphones. I don't I don't know. It just seems kind of pointless. Yeah, yeah. It, they definitely didn't need that at all. Uh, so at this point. Uh, Arbogast is that is that yeah. how is that his name Arbogast yeah. yeah so he he goes over to to uh, to the base motel and uh, he meets Norman and yeah Norman uh, Vince Vaughn here just plays him super awkward <laughs> yes um, you know just in the plot summary you know uh, said it the best I couldn't even think of this word but plays him very unconvincingly you know just uh, just his lies are I don't know what what the character of uh, Arbogast was even thinking because uh, it sounded like he believed a, a good chunk of that, but Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> Norman is just guilty, guiltier than I, I, I can't think of a funny pun to throw in there. But um, I, I don't know. I guess Vince Vaughn played him played him right, but it's just kind of like, really, Norman, you you idiot, <laughs> you know, you're just saying all the wrong things, and then he has to like, oh no 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 no, I I remember mm-hmm. now. She she didn't look good that day. You know, he's looking at the pictures like, oh yeah, it was raining that day. Her her hair was wet. It's a case um, where he hangs himself by um, by Arbogast just gives him enough rope to hang himself. If you just let Norman talk in the scene, he will eventually reveal something that completely negates the previous statement he just gave you, which he says something like, um, you know, he has the lights turned off because he doesn't really want anybody to show up because he's, you know, killed someone there recently, or in this case, his mom has killed something, um, and he's hiding from the world. And when Arbogast brings it up, like, hey, it looks like you're, you know, this motel's hiding, like you don't want business. And he's like, oh, well, no one's been around in weeks. So, you know, sometimes I just forget to do it because it seems pointless since they moved the highway. Okay, that in itself is believable. But then, like, you know, a few minutes later, he'll be like, you know, this old couple, you know, 
or he, he turns the lights back on and says, you know, what? I really need to start doing this because uh, a couple came by just a couple weeks ago who said that they would have drove right past if I hadn't had the lights on. And that's that's just the first of many where Arbogast is like, oh, wait a minute. Like you said that, you know, you no one's been around for weeks, but now you're saying someone was here two weeks ago. Let me just check your book. So that just, you know, it gets further and further to where he's already lied about um, he's not seen this woman and hasn't had anybody there for weeks. And then he immediately sees her handwriting with her sort of crappy alias of like, uh, ex- like her extension of her first name, Marion. And she uses what Samuels she uses, uh, yeah. Sam's name is her last name. Um, right. And then you're right. Suddenly Norman is like, Oh yeah, that's not a very good picture though, which we as an audience see it. We're like, no, that looks exactly like her. <laughs> like she's got very distinctive short yeah. blonde hair. Um, right. And then he, he later trips himself up by saying like, um, she went straight to bed and he says, did she make any phone calls? And he says, Nope. And he's like, well, how would you know that? Did you like sleep with her? And that's when, you know, Norman starts to get agitated and, you know, gets, it gets even worse. Yeah. And then, and then he, uh, I don't, I think it was after this, he even admitted that she was in, in mm-hmm. his parlor, you know, eating. Um, so yeah, he was just, he was not organized with his lies, but I mean, he didn't even know that uh, Arbogast was even like a you know PI or even a cop when, when he pulled up. But I, I I don't know, you know, somebody who's not thinking straight, I guess, wouldn't, wouldn't even try to get a story story down, um, you know, just in case people come looking for her. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Well, doesn't he even I, say I, I, um, she may have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother? And that's like the that's yeah. like the most ominous yeah. line. He he says that was like simmering rage, like very angry. And if you're the PI, you're like, holy crap! Like something has gone on here. Like what in the world is this guy talking about? Like she may have fooled me, but not my mother. Like I've got to talk to this mother. Like what happened? Uh, so even when yeah. Norman tries to like, I don't know, he tries to def- to defend himself or backpedal. It just makes it much worse. Just with something like that. Yeah, that line kind of gave me goosebumps when he said it. I go, you dumb, you're just <laughs> digging a hole for yourself. I, I, I guess this is where uh, maybe being a shot-for-shot shot remake kind of hurts the film. And, well, I guess it doesn't really hurt because this is just kind of a product of, uh, of its time. I, I just feel that it could have been written a, um, a little bit better. Um, I don't know. I, I still liked it, but I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I didn't know where I was going with that um, that thought, really. Uh, I think we're used to seeing now, like with this type of, you know, a crime story and like, you know, you mentioned Dexter earlier that he's clearly not Dexter, which is cool that Dexter's dad was, was in this film uh, for that, that reason we mentioned it. But, you know, if you've watched Dexter, you know that he is very prepared about getting rid of, uh, killing someone, getting rid of a body uh, and also like keeping a story straight. But here, I mean, it just takes the very first, the very first cop-like figure shows up, and is instantly he's made himself the number one suspect just because he has lied like five times within like five minutes. Um, I do think that in the older films, you know, they wanted to see the villain um, get his comeuppance quicker. I do think that they they it was probably shocking then to see your lead character, especially a woman, be murdered in cold blood in the shower, and then her body. You know, it's very morbid. It's a very morbid act to see her just disposed with just, you know, mm-hmm. and I think they, they wanted to see, they wanted to get in that house. I think Hitchcock was trying to get us into that house as quickly as possible. So it helps by having Norman trip himself up. So people will keep coming back to investigate, um, a, a much more, you know, a darker, more modern version 
we might have our serial killer be a little bit smarter about how he does things. But um, yeah, definitely not in 1960, uh, not in this storyline. Okay, I, I do know where I was going to go uh, with right after this. Uh, Arbogast goes uh, over to a, a phone booth, mm-hmm. right? He goes to a phone booth, and uh, who he calls Lila, doesn't he? He calls, I guess, the hardware store because Sam answers and he, but he asks for Lila. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and so basically, if the audience didn't understand what just happened, Arbogast explains <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I I can see it happening back in the '60s, but yeah, th- this is where I was saying that uh, th- this scene could have been taken out. Uh, or or one or the other, either take out the questioning of Norman or or this phone conversation. I think. What do you think? I think uh, if you're telling a story now, you would just have, uh, maybe from um, the Lila character's perspective, we would just see Julianne Moore like hang up the phone, and she would say, it, "We would immediately cut to her saying Arbogast is suspicious. You know, he thinks that you know Marion went to this motel, but she thinks the owner is lying to him, and he wants he's going to go back and investigate." I think we should go too. And I think that would be it. I think then we would immediately cut to uh, Sam Loomis coming, like driving there, and then it would intercut with Arbogast being being killed by the mother. I think they would. I don't think you would have this conversation where it is weird. Now it's weird to watch a movie where we just see one half of the conversation. As you said, he just relays exactly what had just happened and basically says, "Hey, I'm going to go back there. I'll see you in an hour." And yeah. the only reason it's there for plot purposes is so that. Uh, Lila and Sam will eventually come to the motel and we can get to the ending. We get to the, the big reveal of what's in the house. Yeah, the, so the whole Arbogast uh, walking around the house, this is the part that kind of, I don't know, scared me, I guess, is when you see the, the aerial shot of you know the top floor, he finally makes it up to the top floor and the figure of Mother just comes storming out. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam, and so so that really scared me because I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I knew Norman had seen uh, Arbogast pull up mm-hmm. earlier at the motel, and so I guess we were to assume that he walked around the back side yeah. of the motel to get up to the mm-hmm. house. So I, I didn't expect. I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't expect, uh, you know, the mother figure to be coming out um, just like that. And I, I do kind of like the shot uh, how they made it look like he was. He was um, the shot of him free falling, mm-hmm. except for he was probably standing there with with the backdrop right. of uh, you know image falling, but um, th- th- that's probably the, exactly the same as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think there's some some imagery, like is that like a storm and like maybe a deer and the headlights, like you get those like almost subliminal like flashes. Flashes, uh, yeah. That stuff is not in the original, but yeah, it's the same style as far as you said. You have the 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 back screen of him falling. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it's probably to like a modern audience now, it probably looks very strange. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, why did they have it look like that? But I also think in this instance, by not updating it, it makes it more, it makes it scarier looking because it is so different. You're not just seeing a, a stunt guy just fall down the steps and then them stab him. It's, it's very kind of trippy and kind of surreal, like what you're seeing. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's the, the same technology they were kind of trying to use in the original. Which yeah. uh, I also agree with you. When I watched the original for the first time, that was also the scariest part, that she just comes out at the top of the stairs. When it goes to that aerial shot and she just comes storming out, that is the part that made me, like I guess, jump the most as a kid, uh, that it just she just comes storming out of there, just this old woman with a knife. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. That's the, that's the biggest uh, creep factor there. Oh, yeah, and I guess what also works for me is, uh, yeah, once um, 
And I, and I guess CGI was added uh, in, in post. Well, I guess that's when you have to add it is in post. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just the slashes on his face that that was kind of um, yeah, that was kind of unsettling for me. And then once he hit the ground, I think the mother figure proceeds to go down and finish him off. Mm-hmm. Right? Just so so yeah, they even go further with that. So they, they even you know turn it up a little bit more. Um, so the, yeah, this is this is when it's starting to get uh, even more suspenseful. So uh, again, we we see we, we don't see the whole thing happen, but we see uh, uh, Norman over by the swamp, and we're to assume he did you know what he did earlier. He got rid of the body and um, pushed a car in, in, into the swamp. Now, how many you think? Uh, how many cars? <laughs> two cars now. I mean, I don't, you can fit all the. I wondered that. I was like, if he's done this before, you're gonna be running out of room eventually. Like I was just like, uh, it's not a very big like sort of pond area they've got back there, but yeah, it's just. Uh, I, I guess we're assuming this is just the second one. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a few more. Um, I, I wish that they could have showed us a, a little bit more. Um, and I don't know if this was the exact same location, but uh, I feel maybe they should have um, uh, picked a different area with a, just a, a bigger swamp. Mm-hmm. You know, because because I just feel like okay, you just pushed one car on top of another, <laughs> unless it's that much bigger. And I don't know, maybe just as a viewer, uh, I I want to see how grand the swamp is, yeah. uh, because it, it it just it made me question it. It didn't take me out of it. I'm just like okay, so you got two cars probably stacked on right. each other now in that swamp. Now what we we could was it Loomis and uh, Sam and Lila? They go to see the sheriff. Uh, Sam, yeah, Sam is. He goes when Norman is getting rid of uh, Arvagas' car. He goes and is yelling for him, and you see Norman hear him. And then I guess Sam comes back and relays to Lila that you know, there's no sign of him. Like, and, and apparently he did see the mother figure in the window. So that's right. when they go to the sheriff, and that's when um, they reveal that Norman's mother has been dead for ten years, and that she yeah. she died in bed with her lover who. She supposedly murdered and then killed herself because she found out that he was married, um, as the story that the sheriff and his wife uh, tell these two. Yeah, it, it was a pretty big reveal, uh, I think. Yeah, and this is where I was like, wow, 10 years? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I, I kind of like how uh, the, the sheriff's wife is uh, Mrs. Selner from Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, <laughs> yeah. Me, me and Phoenix just watched. So so I was like, oh, okay, Mrs. Do- uh, Mrs. Selner is in here. So that's that's kind of a, a little Hydrate Level 4 connection there. Um, yeah, very interesting reveal. I, I, I like that. Now, every time I heard the mother figure, I do, do you think that's an actual woman yeah, Speaking yes. Of, it probably is. Yeah. Right? I, I I can't imagine it being Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't in the original too. They had a, a different uh, actress, I guess, doing the voice for Mother. Um, yeah, because I'm just trying to think from like the other people's point of view. For example, like Marion mm-hmm. earlier in the movie, she hears them fighting. So so are we to assume? Yeah, that 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 was Norman, yeah. you know, voicing both people. Um, yeah. So I I yeah I wonder if. Um, if they could have casted somebody that could have done both, but if they didn't do that in the original, then, then I can't imagine why they would do that in the remake. But that would be kind of interesting if they did have the, uh, you know, if they had an actor that actually could have done both voices. Yeah, basically um, in this world, uh, Norman Bates is a better actor than both Anthony Perkins and uh, Vince Vaughn, and at least in his vocal range, he's a better voice actor. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's just, that's already you know you're already suspicious of Norman Bates enough because you never really see Mother. And clearly, he is capable of doing bad things himself, and it's kind of creepy, as you said. So I think if you 
had even the hint of a male voice in it, if it sounded like a male doing like a female voice, I think it would have probably revealed what was going on a little bit quicker than what happened here. Yeah. Well, what else happens? I, but my, I, I think I was just kind of uh, really into this. Now, do they go to the boat, uh, uh, Bates Motel? Yeah, they, and check in? they go and check in as a, a married couple, which uh, this is a case where um, Norman sees through their lies sort of quicker than uh, they see through his because they're already suspicious of him, obviously, so they have reason to start doubting him. But otherwise, he's fairly normal when he's checking them in. He kind of he keeps forgetting to do things like uh, have them sign the register because he's learned his lesson about having people sign in. Um, yeah, and which he kind of says, "Oh, it's not necessary." <laughs> and and you know, if he suspi- is he suspicious yet at, at this point? I don't. I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Um, okay, he is once they that, leave that, though. Yeah, that that could kind of make sense as to where like, oh, that that's not necessary because I was like, well, isn't that something you do though? Because yeah, because if he was already suspicious of them, then I don't know, maybe I would have had him or had them sign something different, um, just so they don't you know see see that name. I don't know if he was gonna rip out that page. Um, I think he had just lost that, confidence in himself. I think he realized like yeah. I, I'm too bad at lying. I need to keep as little evidence as possible of people having been here. Um, but you have this weird moment where uh, Lila winks at him and he winks back like right. and this is supposed to be like her like husband or whatever. Um, and then they they go to their room and, you know, they don't have any uh, like the baggage. no baggage um, and they also want to go alone. Like he offers to show them. And so he kind of follows them out the door. And as they're walking toward their room, which is clearly not number one, like he keeps going back and skipping over like the number one key. Which I believe when Marion showed up, he was going to give her another key, and then he switched to the one. Like he made a decision that he wanted her in the next room where he could sort of peep on her. Um, right. But when he's watching uh, Sam and Lila walk to the room, he attempts Sam attempts to put his like arm around her, and she kind of like shakes him off, like she doesn't want him touching her. So I think at that point, Norman's suspicious of this supposed like married couple uh, that you know he she's winking at him, and he doesn't. She doesn't want uh, her husband or a lover to like touch her, so I thought this was it was a cool instance where Norman was sort of ahead of them for once, like sort of suspicious of what they were doing. Yeah, let me see. So this is when they decide that uh, they, or at least I think it's Sam. He he decides that the one's going to distract and the other one go up into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in my opinion, I. You know, Julian or uh, Lila, she's already winked at him. I, I would have had her, you know, stay back. And, and I, I'm sure they're just doing this because that's the way the original was. Uh, but I, I feel like, well, you know, th- this is this is probably someone that could probably distract Norman a little bit better. You know, another female. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Sam uh, seems to Lila, be she... scared of uh, her being alone with him. But he's also scared of her going up to the house. And I think her line is, I can handle like a little old woman. Uh so I guess that's where the decision's made. But no, I agree with you because it is, you know, she doesn't wink at him in the original. So it is, it is strange that she's already started flirting with him. And then they didn't, they didn't sort of use that as a ruse to, to sort of keep his attention. Yeah. I, well, I guess you actually make a very good point too. Sam is thinking like, right. Yeah. I don't want to leave you with him just in case something happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I guess, I don't know. And again, it's probably the way uh, Julianne Moore is playing um you know the character of Lila. Maybe it was played a little bit different. I can believe Sam. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. She's not. Um, 
I don't know. I guess because she had been so aggressive, uh, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't have been too concerned, really, because I, I would have felt that she could have held her mm -hmm. own. But um, since they're using the same kind of dialogue, I felt that what's the opposite of aggressive? Uh, passive. Yeah, or... it, <laughs> yeah, passive aggressive. There you go. Yeah, if Julianne Moore just played her a little bit more passive aggressive, then I could I could believe uh, Sam. Like, yeah, you know, may, maybe I should I should stay here. That kind of thing. Um, but yeah, she she's able to get uh, up to the house, and uh, she's looking around. And I kind of like this because I, I didn't mention it earlier, but we get a little Chekhov's uh, golf clubs. Mm -hmm. um, did we get that in the original too? I don't think so. That's not. Uh... Golf clubs are not. I don't believe that's what's used uh, in that little scuffle that happens. I think it's just like a statue or something that's like reached for and just or a, a, like a vase or something, a vase. Um, I don't think it's golf clubs, which uh, that was something Arbogast looked at when he came into the parlor right. alone, and they kind of set that up uh, for later use. So, so in the original, when when. Um... When Norman gets a little suspicious, he he actually reaches for like not a golf club. He actually like a like a vase or or a statue. Yeah, I think and I think the scuffle is a little bit more uh, in Sam's favor, from what I remember. I think there's like it looks like they're more sort of like struggling against one another, sort of like uh, like wrestling, like and he sort okay. of sort of reaches for it, like just uh, sort of last minute. Uh, the newer version, it's you know he's already kind of planned what he's gonna do because Sam is like actually got like his back turned. Uh, right. To him. And, and and again, I, I wonder if this is because Vince Vaughn, again, like you mentioned, taller guy, kind of imposing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, I, I guess you know this is where someone kind of um, smaller and meek would have been a little bit better because you could kind of see that he is vulnerable and reaches for something. Because mm -hmm. this one, it, it shows that um, you know Vince Vaughn being the bigger character. It, I guess, I kind of wanted to feel for Norman a little bit more. Because um, now you're kind of rooting against him because he he was like, well, you, you're the bigger guy and and uh, you want out mm -hmm. in this kind of. Uh, I I felt that maybe um, a little bit more struggle uh, could have been a little bit better. Any more on that for you with this little scuffle? I kind of, I mean, I kind of like the, the the modern version because, like you, we're, we've said because they have Vince Vaughn. Um, it's yeah. not like the 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 fight scene or the scuffle is very. You know, it's not very long and not like very dramatic in the original, um, but you clearly get that if in that version, if Sam wanted to, you know, he would he would win any sort of fight with Norman if he wanted to restrain him. Um, right. And in this one, I think that there's I, I couldn't imagine the the Vigo Mortensen character like you know putting Vince Vaughn in some sort of headlock or something or restraining him. So I think it they probably handled it the best they could. Uh, but you're right. It you know it does reveal that uh, if Norman wants to, you know, he can uh, physically hold his own. Like he's not, he may act meek, but he is very strong. And I mean, he you know he just immediately reaches for the club and you know takes out Sam, and then is on his way back to the house. Yeah, and at this point, this is probably where I got my first actual jump. Um, you know, Lila, she's looking around the bedroom, and. She she looks into a mirror and she gets startled, mm -hmm. you know. That's where I jumped, you know, because she she had seen seen something in the mirror, but she turns around and I I guess I thought there was gonna be something in the bed, but all the what was it just an indentation in the bed? Yeah, where something had been laying. Yeah, there. a body had been laying there for you know years. We're to assume. 
Yeah, it's, so I'm not sure why she reacted that way because I really thought something was behind. It was just the, was it, it was just herself, right? Like a mirror? Was it? She, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, which it is weird because you walk in that room and there's like mirrors like all over that bedroom, like almost every corner there's yeah. a mirror. Um, which I guess we're they do have a brief shot where she's looking at clothes, and I don't know about you, but I'm I'm looking at those clothes and I'm like those look really large to be like a female's they clothes. Do. <laughs> No, yeah. Not only did they look large, they they looked very. Um, it, it looks like it's something that someone's currently wearing yeah, now. Yeah. That that it wasn't dusty yeah. or in in bags or anything like that, or even boxed up for someone that's been dead for ten years. Um, so yeah, I, I've already kind of known at this point, but it, it's really hard to kind of even think of somebody that was not spoiled to to not already know by this point that yeah, it, it's Norman dressing up as as his mother. Um, which I, I don't even know how. Uh, so Lila, she gets to the basement because Norman had gotten there, right? He got to the house, and, and he knows she's in the house. Now he's looking for her. Yeah. So. This is something I think that if you're an audience member, you're probably screaming at her because um, you know, she sees him coming up the house, and she's just like come back down the stairs. And so she really doesn't have – many places to go i guess she could go back towards the kitchen or like the and maybe go out a back door or something but she just goes to, toward the basement stairs which are underneath the stairs going uh to where the mother's bedroom is and uh norman looks kind of just looks down the hallway towards i guess the kitchen area but then immediately takes off and he's not being quiet about it like he's you know you hear his footsteps and he actually goes up there and uh, like slams the door and so you get the impression, like, okay, you can probably hear where he's at. Just go out the front door and make a run for it. Like, he knows you're up there. It's like, you don't even have to be quiet about it anymore. You just need to get to your car and, like, flee or get to Sam. But right. she starts to, like, go back up the basement steps to, like, leave. And then she looks down at the basement door, and there's, like, not – there's not even really a clue or a hint of anything. She just sees a door, and she's like, oh, I haven't looked in there yet. I wonder what's down there. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but if it were me – I'm probably just getting out of the house at that point. I don't think I'm going to go like investigate any further. Um, but I mean, that's the same as the original, the original, you know, she's, she just got to go through that door. She's just got to find like, you know, she's on the trail thinking her sister is somewhere. Yeah. See, and, and again, a shot for shot, this is where it, yeah, it can get a little, um, it just, I, I don't feel like it, it worked for modern times. I, I think now it, uh, you know, with the right director and such, maybe maybe you have her go get Sam to come back and help. Obviously, Norman was running back up to the house. Something has happened, and you know, think what you will, but I, I don't know if she'd be able to take on Norman at this no. point. He he's obviously pissed off, and um, yeah, I, I just feel like you know you want to get back up. So uh, if I were her, I would have gone back out get Sam to come back into the house. Or, then now, now you got a two-on-one. Maybe if you're going to get her into the basement right in that moment, maybe have the basement door open and she sees, maybe then she sees like the old woman like sitting there or something. Maybe that's why she goes yeah. up to confront her because you could say, okay, maybe her curiosity to just talk to this woman gets the best of her because you know, at that point they do, they think that it's the mother that has the information and they think Norman is hiding, like protecting his mom. So you can kind of understand they don't really think that Norman is the killer, so they think that he's maybe just going to like tell them to get out of his house, not necessarily kill them. But, yeah, it is, it's a little hard to believe that she would just open a door and just, out of curiosity, just kind of look around, like not knowing what's in there. Yeah, I, so, so while she's down there, she does find the mummified body of, of Mother. Mm -hmm. it, this is exactly how it plays out as well? I mean, it just looks a little different. Uh, 
the the set looks different. I think it looks creepier in this version because where it is in color. Uh, okay. But and mom, as I've said before, the mother looks different. Uh, and the the reveal is a little bit different because the I think this is one instance where the black and white really helps because when she mm-hmm. she turns the the mother around, she like pushes her, and so the chair kind of slowly turns, and that's when you see the mummified corpse. Um, and she screams and knocks like the, the lamp above her. Uh, uh-huh. and it, you know, it does that shadow effect where it's swinging back and forth. Uh, so in yeah. black and white, it looks really cool. It makes the, the mummified corpse look like it's laughing cause it gives movement to this like kind of skull and, in the color version, I don't think it works as well. It's still creepy looking, but because it's right, not right. black and white, that shadow effect, I don't think plays as well in color as it does on black and white. Yeah, I I did kind of feel that uh, that the real veil. Uh, I don't know. It, not that it was anticlimactic. I, I was just kind of like, uh, I just didn't think it, it was missing something. Mm-hmm. You know, when I saw that, I go, okay, I I think this is where like it being the, um, you know, the modern maybe with the color as you said. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very act- uh, anxious to actually watch the original now. Um, so so she she sees mother there's even a spider crawling on that was pretty mm-hmm. quick but you know that that kind of shows that uh you know downstairs probably is not where he is that where he actually stuffs all all his I I, I got that impression I think that's uh, that's new I don't think the birds are in the old version um because you've mm-hmm. got all the sounds and you've got the live birds that it makes the mother character in this one look like she's like watching these birds he's got like in cages uh, but I don't yeah. think that's in the old one. I don't think they're uh, the set is much more extravagant and the newer one. It's much larger looking. In the original, do, do they ever show mother on the bed? No, no, that's. I thought they did. I I I, I want to say I've seen a picture of that. So so it, it just might be her in the seat and um, in the basement. Mm-hmm. Then okay, okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so so Norman comes out of nowhere already wearing his mother's clothes. So I guess there was enough time for him to kind of change and and get into the uh, the mother persona there. Um, yeah, I guess I have no problems at this point. I mean, uh, Sam, you know, get, creeps up behind him kind of quietly, I guess. Yeah, you get the impression that uh, you know he's when he charges up the steps, he's he's getting ready to become mother again. You know, that's that's why he's up there slamming a door because it is weird. Right before she goes to the basement, like, why am I hearing a door slam? Like, why, you know, why would he be shutting anything? And it's because he's he's getting ready to become mother, and uh, then go and presumably uh, he was going to go, you know, find her and kill her, and then go back and finish off Sam. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Sam he does just hit him the one time because, as we've established, Norman is not, you know, he's not the world's best criminal either, and so mm-hmm. Sam, I'm sure it hurt, but unless he was, you know, knocked out. He was able to, you know, he struggled back up and I guess assumed he needed to get to the house. That's that's where Norman had gone. Um, this one, the, the struggle uh, is a little bit longer and a little more violent. Like they smash, I think, one of the, the glass like sort of cases he's got. Um, and the other one, basically, Anthony Perkins walks in in the dress and the wig. And, you know, he's like got this like kind of wicked smile on his face and the knife. And Sam just comes up behind and basically just takes the knife from him, just like grabs his wrist and wrestles him down. But you couldn't really have done with Vince Vaughn. You know, we've talked about they had to be more dramatic in the fighting. And in this one, fitting with the more aggressive Lila character, she comes up and kicks Norman in the face um, because, you know, Sam's kind of struggling to 
hold on to him because you know he's he's stronger. Um, I still I like the original better because it's you know because he can't really once once Sam gets a hold of him, there's really not much he can do, and so it kind of ends there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I really necessarily like the whole the fight sequence because it's really not elaborate. And it's just it just seems kind of awkward, I think, in the modern version, having her come up and like kick him and uh, the glass shattering. I don't know. It just seems um, it seems like you don't really know what's going on. I don't know if you felt that way watching it for the first time, uh, if you felt that it was kind of confusing, like because it seems like it happened so fast. Yeah, not confusing, but but uh, yeah, it happened too quickly. That I felt was a little anticlimactic. Oh, wait, that was mm-hmm. it. You know, uh, I just felt that, uh, and again, nothing to compare to, but I just like, well, you know, maybe they could have done more with that. Um, but you're you're kind of uh, handcuffing yourself to, you know, you're already doing shot by shot mm-hmm. remake, so you got to kind of go with with that. Do, do you feel that they could have done anything else uh, with Norman to make him look even more creepier? You know, like what what if he had like some makeup on? Or yeah, I think like this is an, you know this is an instance where um, the the older psycho has been so influential on uh, modern films and modern horror in particular. And the, the one I think of the most is The Silence of the Lambs. Have, have you seen The Silence of the Lambs? I've seen it like once. Uh, and, and again, one of those like, oh, you need to watch it. And I watched it. I was kind of like, eh. Um, that character is based on uh, Buffalo Bill, the serial killer that uh, the Clary Starling uh, kind of goes to Hannibal Lecter for advice on on how to catch. Uh, Buffalo okay. Bill is based on... Um, the same real life serial killer that um, th- that Norman Bates is based on, which is Ed Gein, and Ed okay. Gein, I, I've seen that movie. Yeah, uh, he you know he was a small town uh, guy that in they for Psycho, that guy like dug up graves and like dug up like his mother right. and stuff. That's where they got that. Um, and was it? He stitched people's skin that's, together. To that wear. see, that's where the Silence of the Lambs, uh, a more modern version. And that, I mean, that, that movie's still like. It's like twenty three years old at this point. Um, you know, it's it's creepier when you get to Buffalo Bill because you're you're actually seeing someone stitch skin together. It's a, it's and in this one you're just seeing a guy in a blonde wig. And I think in nineteen sixty, seeing a man in drag, seeing a dress and an old woman's sort of wig and a knife, uh, freaked people out more so than it does now. I think Right. I mean, you're going back to Silence of the Lambs in 91 where you're actually seeing a man have like wearing women's skin that I think they, it, it, as you said, it's kind of anticlimactic because you're like, well, we've, we've probably seen a lot worse in movies now. And in 1960, right. I imagine they sort of lost their minds. Like they didn't really know what they were watching. Like this is, this is not something they'd ever seen in movies before. this type of uh, serial killer. And uh, I think it was probably more morbid uh, then than it is now. That being said, I think that I think this is one area where the color hurts. Uh, I think when it was in black and white, it's very simple what he's wearing in the original. He's just you know it's just like a dress and a like a grayish blackish wig. And this, I don't think the Vince Vaughn character looks anything close to what like the mother character looks like in the shower sequence. I don't know if you felt that way. Like to me, it looked it looked very silly. Like it didn't look like the same. It kind of did. Um, because cause the dress was kind of colorful, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it, yeah, it, it just looked like Vince Vaughn in, in yeah. drag. I mean, it, it, it didn't, it didn't make it scary. And, um, 
Now, maybe if they kept... Now, what was the original dress like? Was it black? Was it just a darker color? It was a dar- color, just a darker or? color. It was, I, you know, it wasn't very flashy. It looked like something uh, that an older lady would wear. You know, very conservative looking. Okay. Yeah, just because, like, you know, um, you know, more recently, I just watched The Ring with Phoenix. And you've seen mm-hmm. that one? The 2002? So if you remember, in the videotape, it kept on showing, like, this, uh, this lady. And she was wearing black mm-hmm. and you know brushing her hair that kind of thing see that's that's creepy because it's black yeah. and white now you got you got this this is in color vince vaughn's wearing a colorful dress and a blonde wig it it just looks like a costume mm-hmm. it, it, there's nothing really scary yeah. about that so um talking about ed gein uh, I, I don't know how you do that since the body of a mother is mummified momif- uh, mummified so i don't know what you would do with the face but if he were to do something like that like wear the face i think that'd be even more scarier uh, and that's just kind of adding more layers to this uh, suspenseful ending as opposed to like, um, you know, like like I said, I was just startled a few minutes mm-hmm. prior to this when she when she jumped, mm-hmm. you know, looking in the mirror. And, and then uh, we get the review or we get to see Vince Vaughn wearing the dress. And I'm just like, it, it's not doing anything mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I don't um, I think they could have I think maybe a little more thought uh, be put into into that. Um I don't really know how with someone of Vince Vaughn's size uh, what you do, but I do think maybe, probably just being a little more conservative, a little less flashy. Like it was obviously a stylistic choice that I don't think either one of us agreed with us from the start because we were talking way back in Marion's apartment, like how over the top the colors were, and it seemed like they stayed consistent yeah. with that with Norman's dress, which I think going black or gray would have been better. Like and and the blonde wig also just kind of. Kind of, kind of silly. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely like that they didn't change the the ending. There was a lot of rumors uh, back before this came out that summer when they were like filming it. Uh, I remember reading on like Ain't It Cool News and stuff. And I mean, that's not like a, a reputable like journalistic site or anything. And um, right. but you know, a lot of movie nerds. There were a lot of rumors that were probably someone just on their computers making this up whole cloth because it didn't turn out to be true at all. That. Um, after the shower sequence, they were going to change everything. Like that was like they, oh, that they wow. were telling everybody it was a shot for shot remake, but it was only going to be shot for shot up through the shower sequence. So I can't, I mean, when I watched it in theaters for the first time, I was a little disappointed because as we've talked about, some of the stuff that was updated up to this point doesn't have as hard of an impact as the 1960 version. And I did wonder, I thought it would have been really scary if it had been the same. Cause then for the f- people who had seen it, when they completely went off the rails with it, it would have been terrifying because you don't know what they were going to do. Um, right. Yeah, but it is respectful that they did do it shot for shot. It's just some of the stuff is kind of awkward and I think just could have been could have been toned down a little bit. I think that this is where color really hurts. But, you know, I, I was I was happy with the reveal. Um, now, the the next scene that happens is probably the most, like, hated scene from the original where you... Because they shorten it or something? Well, the... They shorten the dialogue, or what? what were we oh, sorry, I shouldn't have no, jumped no, in. What, what, they do that? shorten it, and that's why the original was so hated. Is because, um, it, the explanation they felt like in 1960 that people they didn't understand what Norman would be, that they wouldn't really get the psychology of it because they'd never seen anything like this uh-huh. on film. And I think they even have a character in uh, the old version that says when the the psychologist or whatever comes in and says. You know, he dresses as his mother because of uh, the mother persona, and they have this other character, this other cop, say so. So he's a transvestite, and I don't think that in this version 
they they trim a lot of that stuff out because we're we're used to seeing characters like this. I'm thinking um, Brian De Palma's like 1980 film Dress to Kill, which kind of alludes. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, a tip of the hat to Psycho, uh, has that kind of similar story, and Silence of the Lambs. So they don't really need all that. If you watch the older Psycho now, a lot of people really wish that Hitchcock hadn't let that scene go on so long. But I think he was also giving audiences that were seeing it for the first time in theaters, he was giving them time to kind of cool down because he was afraid he was yeah. afraid that they would come out of the theater and spoil the big twist because this was a movie advertised on a big twist and people were expecting there to be something crazy that happens at the end. Um, that's that's one thing the modern one really improved on was they just shorten, shorten it down because we don't – I think we get it. Like I think you know once he comes down there in his mother's clothes, you're like, oh, okay, he's been – acting as mother like he's the one like been doing the voices and all that and uh that that was a big improvement i also really like the robert forster as this character i I was a big fan of his and jackie brown yeah i i haven't seen jackie brown um i I might have seen bits and pieces but this guy he has a familiar face i can't really ever um pinpoint like what movies i've Mm -hmm. seen him in but more recently i saw him in breaking bad yep uh, so that, that's really it. But, uh, yeah, I, I saw him and, and again, wow, you know, such a great supporting cast, you know? So, yeah, I, I thought, uh, his, his little dialogue there at the end was really good. Uh, my, now I do have a problem with this, with this scene. I, I just felt that Sam and Lila, they're not really acting like they, they care that they just found out Marion is actually dead, you know, cause it, it has just now been confirmed. Yep. Uh, but uh, the yeah, the older sister, you, you know, I don't know if it was because she was such kind of a kind of a hard ass. Um, but yeah, she she didn't really emote very well with that. Yeah, is that how it was in the original? You know, I don't really, I don't remember because they where they have shortened it so much. I don't remember if there was more back and forth. I do think that that character emoted more than Julian Moore does. I don't know if it was still that authentic because you know she kind of. Uh, you know, she plays it very screechy in the original anyway, even before they know anything. Um, I agree with you that I think it would have been, you know, more dramatically satisfying to see such a hard character like Julianne Moore's version um, sort of softening, softening a little bit there because you're right. That's the first time. And it's just sort of like, so did he kill my sister? And he says something like, yes, you know, I'm sorry for that. And then goes on to explain why it killed her. Very like it's very like much like a math equation. It's very cold, and just matter of fact. And it's one thing for the detectives to act that way uh, when they're sort of relaying that to their peers, like, "Hey, here's what happened. Here's you know what this case is about." But when you when you have the family involved, uh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think that was very well done. I, I think they could have let Julianne Moore uh, display a little bit more emotion there. Yeah, you, you know, may, maybe not get so hysterical, mm-hmm. but but maybe getting to that mm-hmm. point, like you, you you've been spending your you know this whole time looking for her, uh, you know, you went as far as going down to a, a basement that you didn't really need to. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt that she was just kind of like, you know, she she almost f- seemed like she was ready to mm-hmm. move on, you know, now that she it, it has been confirmed. So yeah, I, I think maybe that could have been uh, played a little bit differently. So. Um, and I don't know if this is like a director's choice or Julianne Moore decided to be that way. Like, oh, I don't want to be hysterical. Yeah, I don't know. And it may have been that they were going so far against the portrayal uh, that um, – what is the actress's name? I feel like I should say it since we sort of – Isn't it like Vera or something? Yeah, like it's something. Vivian? I thought it was like Vivian or something. 
Um, I think they were going so far against uh, Vera Miles. That's who played the original. There you go. Yeah, Vera um, Miles. And they really didn't want her to be as hysterical as that version. That they they went too far the other way this time by making her too too hard and too rough. And I just yeah. Um, now, did you like the the actual final scene with Norman uh, alone, pretty much fully as mother now, like mother sort of uh, talking in his head and like doing all the thinking for him? Did you like uh, that moment where he's alone with the fly? I thought it was fine. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, was now to kind of take what something you, you said uh, as far as being like dramatically satisfied. I I, I don't think I was. I was fine with it. I just don't know how how else they could have done this. I wonder. I mean, because he's been obviously hearing um, the voices uh, or the, her voice in his head. Mm-hmm. Now, from other people's perspective, he's been also playing the two, the two parts, mm-hmm. him and mother, uh, as far as speaking goes. I, I would have felt, what if he actually, um, from at the end here, instead of hearing the voiceover, what if he was actually speaking, not like in her voice, but speaking as himself, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. her. You know, so I wonder if that maybe, if maybe the, I would have liked that better. But the the whole fly thing, I guess that's also from the mm-hmm. original. Uh, so I kind I kind of get that. Matter of fact, I think the tagline for this remake was that same line, uh, which I'm not sure if the original had had the same tagline. Um, but no, I, I guess I, I was kind of fine with it. Uh, I, again, I have nothing to compare it to, but. Um, yeah, the movie just just kind of ended, really, uh, and then we get that, that the swamp scene. Yeah, I think the original the original version that last scene is much better. They they try to uh, give a nod to the uh, original because they actually have um, three different sort of audio tracks playing. Like you've got okay, uh, you've got this like modern mother voice and Vince Vaughn's, and then you have uh, the original I think mother voice like. Uh, all three playing like, and they kind of have them playing off from each other so that they're not completely in sync. Kind of, I guess like his mind is not totally in sync. Like you hear a little bit of Vince Vaughn in the background. Um, th- that's cool because it is a remake and I, I, I kind of like when they do the thing slightly differently. Um, but in the original, it is just mother. It's just one voice as if he's like totally become mother and I, I kind of I like that better because this version kind of alludes to the fact that he is going to go back and forth, and I like that it's like after he's got caught that mother mother has no more use for him. Like you know, it's it's kind of like you know he he always from the story we get about him is that it was just him and his mom, and you get this kind of idea that she sort of warped him in his childhood. Like he was constantly trying to impress her and sort of made her his whole world. And when he couldn't be enough for her, that's when he lost it. And I like that yeah. when when Norman has screwed up so many times that he's now going to go to prison or go to some sort of insane asylum that sort of mother takes over because it's like she's he's disappointed her for the last time. Like like for him to be strong, he has to be like the mother figure. In the newer version where it's the multiple voices, you're like, okay, so it's just you know it's just going to be same as usual. I think it kind of loses the fact that he'll just go back and forth. Um, I also like Anthony Perkins' performance better. Uh, I think it's creepier in that scene than Vince Vaughn's. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know, maybe it may have been the audio tracks that kind of messed with me. Maybe I felt that it was still a little too showy from the director's point of view and they didn't let the performance speak for themselves. It, it could be, I, I actually, um, I actually read this afterwards that, uh, of what you're talking about, the, the, the you know, the three voices, 
I actually don't remember it actually at all. Um, you could have told me it was just one voice and I would have believed you. But uh, for you to point that out, yeah, I think I, I probably would have um, liked the original better, just the one voice. Um, and per perhaps I don't remember it because of the three voices. Maybe uh, maybe not confuse me, but it just it just made me kind of like okay, you know, the movie's over. Yeah. Now I'm looking now I'm looking at Vince Vaughn's eyes, and it's kind of creeping mm -hmm. me out. So I think maybe his look maybe uh, um, you know just made me not. Uh, really focus in on what was actually being said, and uh, I got the last line, but that was it. Yeah, it's it's a little so, more still. Uh, it's in the original version. It's just kind of a slow sort of take, and it's because it's so still. You're kind of forced just to look at uh, Tony Perkins and just sort of focus in on him and all of his like expressions. And I think this one is a little too busy. There's like a little too much going on. Um, because I, I just remember as a kid, it just creeped me the hell out. Like to know that the last the last line was, yeah, you know, I wouldn't even hurt a fly. And it's like uh, considering all that he or she has done, this personality, like these brutal acts. You know, we talked about the the Arbogast scene where it's like a like an animal, like comes down and finishes off the prey, like at the bottom of the steps quickly. And when you counteract that or counter have a counterpoint of I would I wouldn't even hurt a fly. I was like, this is, you know, this is a truly deranged person, like that can convince themselves of anything. And uh, I found the original to be much more uh, scary than the modern one, which is, I don't know. I think it's just easier to say, okay, he's just crazy, and you just kind of move on. Um, but then you get the weird, um, the credit sequence where they're just pulling the car up, and that's it. Like it just, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that was done just because uh, for union like regulations, they have to have the credits at the end of the movie. Like that they're right. And in the old days, they didn't have credits. They would just come up the end and that was it. And uh, it's not something I can blame them for because obviously, you know, that's just how contracts run now. And that's just what they were legally obli obligated to do was credit everyone that worked on the movie. But I liked it better considering that they went so far as to have the credits at the top of the film, kind of in the old style. Right. I think it would have been cooler just to kind do of... it the same, just do the end. And because when, yeah, when you have to walk out of the theater after I, I wouldn't hurt a fly and that's it, there's nothing, no normal Hollywood credits. I think it just feels creepier. It just feels like you're just sort of like you've been splashed with cold water and you just kind of walk out of the theater kind of stunned. I think having that, that long take of the car being pulled out while the music plays, um, yeah, I don't really dig it. I think it's kind of awkward. Yeah, it kind of misses that effect, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like you said, you're walking out stunned. Now now you're sitting here kind of processing mm -hmm. everything, just watching a car being pulled yeah. out. Uh, but I, I do kind of like it. Uh, I just like the fact that it's just credits. It's just one shot, and, and you get to hear, like, you know, sirens mm -hmm. in the background, cars driving by. Uh, so, so, yeah, it, it was fine, but, yeah, uh, I get what you mean. Um, now, me and Phoenix, we yeah, we usually do like a five star rating. Uh, what would you give this? Uh, it's it's weird. If, if you're asking me as a movie on its own, I would say you know three stars. If you're for the experimental nature of it, in the sense that they did a shot for shot remake, which you don't usually see, I would say four. You know, I have the originals of five. You know, it's it's one of my one of my favorites, as I said earlier. Uh, and probably always will be because it was so sort of influential on my tastes in film. Um, but yeah, I would say three if you don't have any sort of uh, nerd like allegiance to the original like I do. Um, but mm -hmm. as as a, a an homage to it and a, an experiment, I would say four. 
Yeah, I it, this is very interesting for me because I haven't seen the original, so I feel like if I gave a rating now, it could go up or down after I mm. see the original. So that's going to be really weird. But, uh, you, you know, we also do, um, you know, quarters and three quarters and what have you. Um, but I would probably uh, give this... Like as of right now, I'd probably give this about like a like three seventy five, so just a little under a four, mm. uh, because I have nothing to base it off of. If this was like a movie on its own, I was like, hey, th- that was actually mm. pretty good. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, so it, it could go d- uh, go down after I see the original. Who knows? Or I guess we will. Uh, you know, once once me and Phoenix do the original, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna go with, with the three seventy five. I I feel. That it could have gone a little bit better. I mean, in in, in three seventy five before somebody says, "Oh, that's too high." Well, if you look at it like on a ten scale, that that's still like six and a mm-hmm. half, which is pretty fair for yeah. this movie. I I, I would say I, I felt IMDb gave it um, a little bit lower just because people were like, "No, you know this this is nothing like the original." But um, I feel that okay, you've you've seen the Departed. Mm-hmm. Right now, did you see the the Hong Kong movie that it was based on? I have not. You gotta watch that one. That that's uh, that's a really good movie. Um, it, it, that that is more of a dramatic take. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's more like a uh, like a crime, uh, well, crime drama. But the other one's a little bit more dramatic. Um, but a lot of the scenes, uh, Scorsese he he takes, uh, you know, he just rips right out of the original. Um, but he he does a lot of things on his own too. So I I felt like maybe if Van Sant kind of did that, where you're taking a lot of the same scenes, playing it the exact same way, but do your own thing, this probably could have been a lot better. So after watching The Departed, yeah, you should go watch the original called Infernal Affairs um, and kind of compare that. Because when I went to go watch The Departed, I go, man, this scene was straight out of Infernal Affairs. But at the end of the movie, I'm like, wow, that's that's still a pretty damn Mm -hmm. good movie. Uh, so it, it, and I feel like Van Zandt, he just kind of um, pigeonholed. Is that right? Is that would that be a good? Well, I, I uh, wonder if term? they. Yeah, I wonder if they. You know, because what you're saying is he pretty much he didn't allow himself the freedom to kind of expand on it. Yes. Um, right. And I, I'm wondering if he would have even got the green light from Universal to do a Psycho remake, um, because I think you know he he pitched them, hey, I want to do this, and I'll do it shot for shot, and that you know they. They got the blessing of Hitchcock's daughter, and I, I think that was important right. for them because they, you know, unlike a lot of you know, like a foreign film like Infernal Affairs, which you know I'm I'm one of the dumb Americans that has not seen it. Uh, you know, a lot of people are not going to be beholden to those. Uh, if you're sort of really into movies and kind of knowledgeable, you'll you'll have seen some of those things. Uh, the Vanishing we, we talked about earlier. You know, you had seen the American one, and uh, people don't seem to have as much of a problem when you're updating it to a different country was a different uh speaking language but right. the hitchcock movies i guess are so you know they still remain very popular and still remain uh available to people they're still you know you can get the new blu-ray box set and i think people are really touchy about remaking this like if if they remade casablanca or gone with the wind i think people would get really upset about that too and mm-hmm. i think the only way this project came together was they said hey we're going to do it shot for shot. So I think he was kind of, as you said, pigeonholed. He was boxed in. Um, but there were people, you know, it was the internet rumors of 1998 that people were talking like, I wonder if he's actually going to do it shot for shot or is he going to change things up? And uh, it may have been more fondly remembered if he had, you know, done the shot for shot for half the movie and then kind of gone his own way. Um, but 
as I said, I, I still like it like as if you're watching a stage play. People don't complain about um, you know the latest version of you know uh, Sweeney Todd or something or Rent the musical with mm-hmm. different actors. You know they they like seeing different versions of uh, the performances based on the actors you get. Um, and I kind of wish movies would do that more often. I, I'm I'm someone that doesn't really as long as it's you know high quality. Um, I don't really mind a remake um, because I think that you can update stuff. I just think that this one struggled and that what it did update was very strange and off-putting. And then the stuff they didn't update probably could have been. It was just the decisions they made were kind of weird at times when they did go off the beaten path and have, you know, you had Flea in there. I think that was, (laughs) I think that that throws people (laughs) off or you have the headphones. Um, But no, I I think this is hated on because just because it is a remake. Um, It's not, it's nowhere near as good as the original. Um, but uh, like you said, sometimes the remakes can be. The Departed, you know, it, it won Best Picture, and it, it kind of went on to its own acclaim. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm happy you sort of allowed me to, to talk about my guilty pleasure here because I don't think there are going to be movie po- many movie podcasts that talk about Psycho from 1998. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun sort of talking about it and talking about the differences. No, no, I, I definitely le- learned a lot too. I, again, I, I watched it just the one time last night. You know, I, I might have missed some little things here and there. Uh, you know, while taking notes, but it also shows you, you, you know how 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 much knowledge you have in this movie. Uh, so I really appreciate your uh, you know your your insights and things like that because there's just there's just stuff I don't pick up and and I feel like I'm a little bit more of a Joe Schmo when it comes to movie watching because there are things that will go over my head and stuff like that. So you brought up a lot of you know good talking points and stuff. So so I thought this was uh, uh, an interesting movie to talk mm-hmm. about. And, you know, again, I, I get why it gets so much hate, but uh, I, I I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it's I could still enjoy it again. I, I wouldn't tell Phoenix like, oh, d- don't watch this one because it's not good. <laughs> you know, there, there's just some things that I don't know if I want him seeing yet. I mean, uh, he's 14. So so the, the addition of the, you know, um, the peephole that that that's nothing there. But. Uh, maybe just start off with the original if he likes that. Hey, you know, leave it at there. Why watch the remake unless you want mm-hmm. to? You know that kind of thing. So yeah, I thought I thought this was still pretty good. Uh, another segment we do is uh, you know, what happens after the movie? Do you, do you have any thoughts or or any kind of um, something that you've kind of not I guess fantasize is the wrong word, but like as far as uh, following the movie from what we've kind of kind of know. Well, the uh, the original series they did they have I think four they went up to like four yeah. uh, psychos like three sequels, um, and I think I saw some of them on TV. But even as a kid, I thought it was strange that like Norman Bates was out there like running around again or still running the motel. I I, I didn't really research enough to see what the sequels were like because I've I've never gone back and actually watched them in full. But you know, in my version of it, you know, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't get out because they clearly they find the body. I mean, they find the vehicle, and I don't think he was clever enough to have moved the body somewhere. You know, I don't think he went back and did that again. So I, I think he's still in the you know some sort of institution, some sort of an insane asylum. Um, I think that uh, the the super tan guy probably gets really really yeah, yeah. really aggravated. But as he said, uh, you know, he never carries around more than he's like willing or comfortable enough to lose. So uh, I think right. that he he probably went on and like told the story like to people who really didn't want to hear about it and probably got himself in trouble because it's probably a very 
uh, not good dinner talk to talk about this like gruesome murder that he was involved with. But he yeah. probably claimed that as like a badge of honor for him that he was involved in this. Uh, and I think that the uh, Rita Wilson character, Caroline, uh, I think her husband leaves her at some point because she is way too overbearing. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my thought. I have no idea what happens to Sam or uh, Lila. Did, do you have any thoughts on what what happens with those two? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It, it's funny because this is, you know, somewhat of a segment on our show, but uh, we're really bad. At it. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I, I think uh, but here's another thing, you know, this is my first viewing. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. tougher, you know, whereas like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if we did one for Mrs. Doubtfire, but like, yeah, some of the other movies, uh, you know, I've obviously seen it growing up and, you know, I've had plenty of time to kind of uh, imagine what would happen after the movie. But I was sitting here trying to think like with Norman himself, um, you know, he's going to be institutionalized just because, yeah, he, he was uh, basically he's insane. So he's not going to, you know, go to jail and serve a sentence. Um, and I don't think he would die for for what he did again because he was uh you know deemed insane so he would just be committed and i I'd, I'd like to imagine him being uh in a scene with the uh, the people from you know one one flew over the cuckoo's nest you know something in there and uh uh you know playing playing out the whole mother persona and you know no no longer norman uh as far as Lila and Sam gosh I don't know maybe, maybe uh Sam learns to play the drums and him and Flea kind of <laughs> you know you know do a little do a little sum in the back and Lila uh gosh I I don't know there, there was you, you know I, I guess Julianne Moore can say she fleshed out the character a little bit more but I just I don't know maybe I just I didn't see it uh, the whole Walkman thing bothered me. I just, I, I don't know what happens with her. Just because, and another thing, like where where I last saw her, I, I didn't feel like she was going hysterical for the loss of her sister. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe she, she just kind of lives a lonely life, really. You know, I, I don't know if there's parents around or anything like that. But just the fact that she didn't seem so... I don't know. She's the older sister, but she just the way she. I don't know the lack of reaction. I don't know. I I can't imagine her having a life after this. Now, you know, her sister could have been the last uh, person she had in the family. She's probably very but, walking around, just, very angry, listening to Sam and Flea's band on her Walkman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Yeah. Wonder if people like that. <laughs> there, there you go. That's uh, cycle one point five. Yeah, uh, probably probably better yeah. than the sequels. I don't think the sequels are very are highly regarded. Uh, cycle two through four. Well, what's funny is I, I think on the IMD page, the uh, one of the images shown on this remake uh, page was like cycle three. Uh, it didn't even show two, and I guess three was written and directed by Anthony Perkins too. So he, he kind of looks like he took it upon himself and kind of went further with the story. Yeah, I think what happened there was they they didn't make them until uh, after Alfred Hitchcock passed away because I don't think they would sort of oh, I see. dishonor uh, you know him by by doing a sequel to his his films, which I don't think there was there was ever a sequel to any of his movies you know that he participated in. I think he he participated in his own remake. He remade his own movie, which right. is cool. Uh, the Man mm-hmm. Who Knew Too Much, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of very sad and tragic, you know, what happened to uh, Anthony Perkins as an actor because he became so famous for this role that he he became uh, pigeonholed. He he was typecast as Norman Bates as a sort of crazy right. character. He I think another role he played was as a was based off a real I think Boston Red Sox outfielder 
uh, called Fear Strikes Out, where he plays like a baseball player who was sort of had, you know, he had some sort of mental issues where he had a breakdown, like when he played baseball. And this was based on a real person. But yet again, it's Anthony Perkins playing, you know, someone who, uh, you know, has these sort of uh, mental problems. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The Psycho, like I said, the Psycho sequels, uh, I think I'd rather see your version where uh, Sam Flea become <laughs> rock stars. I think I would like to see that, that more than the Psycho sequels. Yeah, yeah. You know, thank you for coming on the show. How can uh, the listeners uh, find you? Uh, you can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and we're even on whatever the like the Windows podcast store is called. I don't know if it's like the Xbox like podcast store now, uh, but we're submitted there because I have I have a friend that is like an avid Windows Phone user, and he like basically mm-hmm. made me submit to their store. So I don't know if anybody else downloads it, but he does. Um, you can find us as far as social media. Uh, our Facebook page is under our podcast name, which is War Machine versus War Horse. We also uh, post a lot on a really cool community on Google Plus called uh, Ultimate Movie Geeks, which have a, a lot of cool like movie fans there. And uh, I found it to be much more interactive than Facebook, even though there's much less people on Google Plus. There seem to be, at least in that community, a lot of movie lovers out there, and they've been really supportive. Um, we're also on Tumblr, Instagram. Uh, but mainly you can probably interact with us as most people do on Twitter. Uh, and that's at war machine horse because we can't fit our full title under, uh, Twitter guidelines for 140 characters. Um, but yeah, you can listen to the show on uh, stitcher iTunes or just on our, uh, webpage war We've got all the episodes on there. Yeah. Um, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HLF podcast on Facebook at Hydrate Level 4. Uh, download us on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, now, Michael, you're my second uh, guest on this show. Uh, you're actually the second Michael on the show as well. It's a very common and, name. It's a good name. Classic yeah, name. it's a very good name. It's a strong name. <laughs> um, and now I, I had him pick uh, the outro music. Do you have one in mind or oh, yeah. uh, something to go along with this? Definitely, man. Go with the the Danny Elfman Psycho theme. Let's go with the original theme music to take us out because okay. uh, we were both big fans of it at the top of the show when we started talking about this movie. All right. Yeah, I like it. So we'll go ahead and play that. And hopefully you can come back uh, again on another show. I'd love to. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I believe uh, I'll be um, – uh, we, we pre-recorded, and there's going to be an upcoming episode with me on that. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely put that out on some of those social medias if uh, people are interested. Um, yeah, we so, talked to yeah. uh, My Cousin Vinny and Conviction for our judge episode, and you, you actually kind of helped us uh, form that episode. That was kind of uh, your idea to, to do one on the judge. So we really appreciate that, and it, it was a fun episode, fun to talk about. But we need to have you back oh, on. I, you need to come back. Yeah. I, I thought you actually already had uh, decided on the judge or something or, or something like that, no? No, no, that was actually, you You kind of asked me, you were like, uh, hey, have you heard about the judge? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen the trailer. I was like, I don't really know what we're going to do with it. So it was kind of that initial conversation with you where I was like, oh, well, I need oh. to kind of look into this. So we really appreciate okay. that when people kind of give us uh, some ideas for some, some movies that they're interested in, that they want to listen to. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to do some more. All right, well, until the next episode, I'm Peter, he's Michael, it's Hydrate Level 4. 